and goblins welcome back to a special episode of 80s high the podcast that celebrates the best of the 80s pop culture movies games toys music and more i'm your host count bendula i've been blindsided i don't even have time to come up with a cool (laughs) name i'm just chris and this is 80s high (laughs) oh my god (laughs) this guy excited for our Are special sure? holiday episode. He's on fire. He's high for Halloween. This is oh great. My God. I was gonna. I was thinking if I could do that voice for two hours straight. Should I? Do you want me to do no, it the whole episode? Hard, hard I no. I can do it. Veto. I'm okay. Unsubscribe. You can it. hear the clicks. <gasps> and that ghouls and ghosts mm. is the voice of a very special guest on this episode of Ace High. Welcome back from season two, our slasher episode. Mm. Host Mikey, welcome back to the classroom. Mikey's I believe that back. would be season two, episode three. Specificity. Oh, That's I why we it. have you on here, buddy. That's right. you, you bring the facts. No, I had to look that up earlier today. Mikey, I, I am so thankful that you're back. You really brought the heat and the knowledge with our Slashers episode. I felt kind of bad when I reached out to you this year when I asked, hey, can you join us for the Halloween episode? Knowing you're such a fan of horror film, I, I felt like I was breaking your heart when I said, no, the holiday, not the movie. No. Spoiler alert for like how it holds up, but this is my favorite holiday, so... We brought the right expertise. I I agree with you completely. Best holiday. As an October baby, Halloween has been my jam since birth. I am very excited to talk about this holiday. But again, like I said on the last episode, this is a growth. I'm a little nervous. It's my first time trying a broad category topic, so I'm going to do my best to keep it high and tight. And you swung for the fences. You I really sw- did. You're like, how? if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go as broad as humanly possible. Yeah, right? that's true. Go big or go home once the candy's gone. That's what I always say. That's right. With so much on the table to talk about this big holiday, I think I could float on down to history class. I need to learn more about the history of Halloween and where it came from. So let's not delay. All right, kiddos. Costumes on, masks on, let's haunt our way down the hallway. So we are here in... No, I swear to God, I'm not going to do that. We're back in... We're in history class, and I'm really excited about this because I think this is... You know, usually people come to 80s High to learn about the 80s, but this is a a pretty cool topic this year for everyone to kind of learn the origin of what they're seeing on a daily basis, wherever they might be about Halloween. I think Mm. it's really exciting. I want to thank you both. We're doing something a little non-traditional here in history class where we're doing homework. I assigned both of you homework. We've split up the holiday of Halloween into the different most prominent traditions. And you both did your research. I'm assuming you're both going to get an A plus in today's class. But thanks for splitting up the assignment with me. Yeah, you flipped it on me this year. I had assigned the <laughs> homework last year and now I got to sit here. It's like remedial teaching. You know, you uh, you make a podcast about school. There's going to be homework, unfortunately. Mm. So. It's just part of the game. It's but just hey, part this of the was game. fun homework. It was a good time. It was a joy. So over two millennia ago in Ireland, the Celts held a festival pronounced Sowin. It's spelled completely differently, but Sowin is how we pronounce it. 
It's spelled like Sam Hain, which yeah. I've also heard yeah, it, looks- it before, but it is solid. Yeah. <laughs> it looks okay. like Sam Hain. But I saw one as sort of a festival of the end of summer. And it celebrates sort of the transition of fall. And so we're talking about burning things on a sacrificial pyre. We're making bonfires. We're sort of thanking the gods for a good harvest. But also, please don't hurt us because winter is coming. Mm. And winter, like, usually doesn't go well for our village sort of thing. So it's kind of in the mix there. And what's kind of fun of this timing is... The Celts believe that during this festival, it was the thinnest veil between Earth and the afterlife. Mm. And that during this time on October 31st is when ghosts of the dead could return to Earth. Mm. And they had a variety of beliefs of who these people might be. More than not, uh, it was people who had died that year, but hadn't maybe moved on to the afterlife yet. And like this was the moment for them to kind of go. There's mythological spirits that are more active at this night, so they believed elves and fairies, the wee folk, sprites and even darker energies would be active during this evening. Mm. Uh, But also, if you had wronged somebody and they were dead, this might be a night they might come back to try and settle a score with you. Mm -hmm. So a very very spiritual night. One fact I really loved in researching this is learning is these fires they, they were made, so they would slaughter and sacrifice cattle as part of this festival and they would use the bones of the cattle they would burn them in the fire which were bone fires which over time translated into bonfires this is the origin oh, of the phrase bonfire that's, that's fascinating super cool. how cool is that that's huh. where bonfire comes from for this so they also thought this was a time you know with, with this thin veil between the afterlife that this was a time that you could try and predict the future so Celtish druids would try and predict people's lives largely. And I think Mikey might get into this a little later with apples. But there's a lot of tradition about trying to predict your future, mm-hmm. specifically romantic future, mm-hmm. uh, or how you might die around this holiday. Because when I think of Halloween, I think of romance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vampire sweet Romance holiday, right? Right? Mm. Vampires, yeah. I mean, you got to read the uh, Twilight trilogy I was going to say, Every Twilight told rule. us. Heck yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> Um, and so these druids, these these holy individuals, would wear sort of a costume. They would wear animal heads and skins during this fortune telling, during the bonfire. Uh, and you kind of see this early origin of some sort of tradition someone else will get to in a little bit. So this is another term I learned in researching for this. So this was a pagan holiday. And I never really knew the distinction. Do you guys know what pagan actually means? I mean, something that's not Christian. <laughs> That's always basically. Yeah, yeah. It basically is pagan is basically like a hipster, a hipster religion. Like not many people are into it. It's just not mainstream. That's all pagan means. It's not mainstream. So we fast forward to May thirteenth, six oh nine A.D. Pope Boniface the Fourth dedicates the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs, and the Catholic feast of All Martyrs Day is established by the Western Church. We run down the road. Pope Gregory III expands that festival into including All Saints, All Saints Day, and moves it from May 13th to November 1st. Interesting. Oh, Name a better duo than Christiania co-opting culture. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Like erasing. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what most historians point to as this move. This move was probably strategic to try and, Mm. as Catholicism did a lot, try to erase different pagan traditions and pagan holidays. So by putting it, boom, right on top of uh, Samhain, it kind of threatens it. What I love the irony, though, is this was a small Celtic holiday. And the largest religion in the world, or one of the largest, comes and blows it up and puts this magnifying glass on it. And really, at the end of the day... Christianity kind of saves Halloween. It makes it a huge popular 
holiday and all the, as we'll talk in contemporary culture, all the Christian parts kind of go away of it by putting this magnifying glass on everyone's like, oh, check out this sweet holiday the Celts are into. We should all get on board with this. <laughs> yeah. 1000 AD, church makes November 2nd All Souls Day to honor the dead. Uh, they're dressing up in costumes as saints and angels and devils. All Saints Day was also called All Hallows or All Hallowmas from Middle English All Hallowmas, meaning All Saints Day. Mm. So, hmm, this evolves into All Hallows Eve or Halloween. Mm -hmm. That's where the name originally comes from. So, of course, Halloween is a huge tradition in America now, but not early on. In colonial New England, you really didn't see any Halloween celebrations because of Protestantism. Mm -hmm. Too you know, busy you're tamping it all down. No fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no joy. Everything was cold and muddy and it sucked. We loved there it. Was, <laughs> we loved it that way. There was some reality show like a decade ago where it was people trying to like live like colonial Americans oh, did. Goodness. Like mud, rain through the wind. It was like a reality show and it looked miserable. Yeah. I was yeah. so unhappy. I wish Nightmare. I remember the name of it. Absolutely. So there's, there's none of that. However, in the mid-1800s, 1845 to 1849, you have a little thing called the potato famine mm -hmm. of Ireland. Oh, and a man. bunch of Irish, to survive that, immigrated to America. And as we learned, this is where it all began. So all the Irish coming over bring the tradition of Samhain, a.k.a. Halloween. And that's really where it kicks off in America in the mid-1800s. In the late 1800s, mixing this sort of tradition that the Irish are bringing in with this sort of like Puritan founding of America, you sort of suck all the fun out of it. Like you said, Chris, like no ghosts, no pranks, <laughs> yeah. no witchcraft. Uh, it is sort of like a family fun time. There's a lot of festivals, games, foods, but sort of the frightening and grotesque parts of it had been erased. Isn't it kind of more a private affair rather than a public affair that yeah, it is now, right? We precisely. get together with people, we go out into community, and this was supposed to be more you and your family. Exactly. I, I, thought, I think that's really interesting how much has that changed. But yeah, it was really this sort of, you nailed it. You nailed it. But what I think is really interesting in the early 1900s, this is where all the like sneaky tricks come in for Halloween. Mm -hmm. Potentially theorized that it was fueled by the Great Depression. It's getting kind of nuts out there on Halloween. This is where violence actually happens. Mm. Pranks. Uh, you know, people are destroying public works. Devil's night. Yeah. So... Uh, Halloween's getting a little dicey in the States in the early 1900s. But in the little town of Hiawatha, Kansas, in 1912, resident Elizabeth Krebs had had enough of every <laughs> Halloween, her garden getting ruined, the neighborhood uh, toilet paper? Toilet paper. I should have looked that up. When was toilet paper invented? Was, were people TPing houses in the early 1900s? Hmm. I doubt it. Regardless, she had had enough of it. So she organizes with all the adults in Hiawatha, Kansas. She brings in a band. She puts together a costume contest. She hosts a freaking parade. And it works. She turned Halloween into this community festival. What is this lady's name again? Her name was Elizabeth Krebs. Why is, is there a statue, I hope, of her somewhere? There better Maybe be. Maybe in Hiawatha, Kansas. I wouldn't oh, be surprised. Be. Yeah. yeah. But it sort of works. It sort of like creates this family community holiday. And that year, like the whole crazy vandalism violence sort of disappeared. And cities across the country started to adopt her model for Halloween. Same kind of stuff. Music, food, dancing, sweet treats, costume contests. Which is therefore makes her cited. She's often cited as the mother of modern Halloween. It's awesome. I put in the word modern because she's not the mother of Halloween. Again, yeah. That's some druids two millennia ago. But mother of modern Halloween. Good for her. Mm -hmm. 
And that, that seemed to work. Within 30 years, the 1950, by the 1950s, it was really largely a family holiday. But it changes one more time before I hand off the mic here, because you have the baby boom, First World War II. And so you have the explosion in suburbs and what was once this sort of downtown Main Street parade and festival across America really becomes a much more family event out in the suburbs. You know, the trick-or-treating, going to people's garages, you know, grabbing a snack, backyard, DIY, haunted houses, that kind of thing. But that really transforms with the baby boomers, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my overview of the holiday just in general. Uh, but I'd like to, and this is where I'd like to get with your homework, you guys, kind of break down the origins, the sub-origins of some of the most notable parts that make Halloween what it is. And what could be Halloween without trick-or-treating? Indeed. Christopher? Yeah, and I think what we're going to find is some of these overlap. Like some of what Ben talked about mm -hmm. will kind of dovetail nicely. And then we're going to fill in some gaps as well, because obviously there's there's a lot of interaction going on throughout history. So, Oh, yeah. Trick-or-treating can go back to the Isle of Rhodes, ancient Greece. And it was recorded that there was a custom in which children would go door-to-door -door dressed as a swallow, singing a song which demanded the owner of the house give them food. <laughs> and they would threaten to cause mischief if the owner of the house refused. So Hello. here we have ancient Greece, basically trick-or-treat. It wasn't called that, of course, but that's effectively what it is. Give me a treat or I'm going to trick you. <laughs> no fear. The Colossus of Rhodes staring down. They're like, it's not going to crush me. I don't care. I'll do it. Starting in the 16th century, there was a tradition that kind of came around. Well, there's two things, mumming and guising. And this happened in the British Isles, Ireland, Scotland, Isle of Man, and Wales. And it involved people going house to house in costume or disguise, they might be reciting verses or songs in exchange for food. Again, it sounds very similar huh, to yeah. what we heard from Greece. And this may have originally been a tradition where people impersonated the souls of the dead and receiving offerings on their behalf. And impersonating these beings or wearing a disguise was also believed to protect oneself from them. So this kind of also gets into the costuming piece of it as well. During All Souls Day in England, we're jumping ahead to the history Ben was talking about, poor citizens would beg for food and families would give them pastries called soul cakes in return for their promise to pray for the family's dead relatives. Hmm. And these soul cakes were encouraged by the church as a way to replace the ancient practice of leaving food or wine for roaming spirits. Again, we can't have joy. We uh, these <laughs> no. yeah. these soul cakes. I'm sure were not tasty. They were not high in sugar oh, no. or fat. For sure. I'm sure there was like a, a, a just a dead Wait, wafer kind of. It's, uh, it's flagellating, flagellating your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. So the practice was referred to as going a souling. And was eventually that sounds way more out. metal than it <laughs> probably out. is. I'm going to go harvest some souls. Like soul instead, of going a soul yeah. instead of looking for Skittles. I love it. Uh, and the practice was eventually taken up by children who would visit houses in the neighborhood and be given ale, food, and money. Oh, that's a... Oh, here's See, children. That's, so that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a take, that's man. Amazing. And not much has changed in Europe today. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. That's probably true. Imagine that's the exchange awesome. after you got home where everyone dumps out their bag and they're like, can I have your ale? Like, no. <laughs> no. no. There's what nothing, in, nothing you've got over there. Yeah. This tankard I brought home. That's right. right. Yeah. So again, we're seeing a lot of commonalities throughout history. And let's jump to November 5th. 1605, 
Uh, and this is where Guy Fawkes Day comes into play. So on this day, remember, remember, the 5th of November, Ooh. a group of dissident Catholics tried to assassinate the Protestant King James I of Britain in an attempt known as the Gunpowder Plot. I know no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Ah, Nicely done. That all rhymes. So children and the poor would go house to house, often wearing masks, pushing an effigy of Guy Fawkes in a wheelbarrow and begging for money or treats while threatening vandalism if they were refused. So again, taking on some of this tradition, vandalism, always smashing jack-o'-lanterns or in this case, probably burning Protestants. (laughs) I don't know. Well, and print and your quotes. There's some, you know, if you want to like to catch up on Guy Fox Day, there's of course the great movie V for Vendetta, which is kind of a fun dramatization of the origin of the holiday. There you go. Fun movie. And in 1927, Ugh. we have Canada, where a newspaper from Alberta featured a story about children going door to door, again, in this similar way. And this is the first known appearance in print of the phrase trick or treat. How about that? Ah. Uh, During World War II, what we saw was this practice in North America being interrupted because of sugar rationing and as a result, cutting candy supplies. And so we we see the practice reemerge in the late 40s after the conclusion of the war. That's interesting. I I wish I had seen. I didn't say I wonder if that was just like a rise in like pennies and apples. It's like what you got for trick or treating. Mm. Like if the sugar, you know, what was like the what you get? Yeah, I think it probably is the origins of the circus peanut because they're flavorless. Yes. (laughs) So they probably didn't have the sugar to make them taste good. You don't think that goes back to the Catholic soul cakes? The the circus. Oh, maybe that's that's what circus peanuts are. They're actually (laughs) petrified soul cakes. (laughs) Those leftovers. They found a warehouse, a cave, actually. They dig them up in the clay, and they're like, here. That looks like a peanut. Let's just, you know, call it circus peanuts the and hand them out. Of Edible trash. What do you think, kids? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. So, also, trick-or-treating is seen as a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. Mm-hmm. So, again, you, you're you seeing some of these community pieces tie together, and these traditions continue to evolve over time. But I was shocked it went back to Rhodes. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's like, yeah, I mean, it's literally far, ancient. Yeah. That's amazing. So I, I've also been tasked with talking about costumes. Hand in hand. Trick-or-treating costumes, hand in hand. Can't have one without the other. That's true. We're going to clean up some history here because we've already dropped a few things. So in that tradition, that Celtic uh, festival of Samhain, when Ben was talking about the bonfires and they had the druids come out, well, they wore costumes to ward off ghosts. And the wearing of costumes at Halloween may come from that belief that supernatural beings or the souls of the dead are roaming the earth at this time. So that might be one of those origins of wearing costumes. And Ben, as you mentioned, as part of this tradition around the bonfire, they would wear the heads and skins of animals. Yeah. Like that was a a part of what they did. So early costumes were not something you made in your garage. You would just skin an animal (laughs) and that was – I mean, technically you didn't have the garage to make it in, but – to be fair. Okay, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> you probably made it in your hut. That's right. <laughs> so really kind of goes back to that time. Well, and like I was saying, you know, at that time, they believed there were a lot of different types of spirits that might be coming back. So mm. one of the types we said was somebody that maybe had a grudge against you coming back. So if you wore this costume, this mask. You hide from them. You could hide from that yeah, person. Exactly. And you kind of only reveal yourself to those who you really trust or know for sure are of the living. Absolutely. 
So by the ninth century, again, we see that influence that Ben talked about where Christianity is spreading, these Celtic traditions are becoming to be erased, supplanted, or blended with different beliefs. And by 1000 AD, when the church made All Souls Day to honor the dead, again, this was a replacement for that Celtic festival. And part of the celebration was very similar to Samhain. It would have people dressing up, dancing around bonfires, wearing costumes of saints, angels, and devils. So again, to your point, Ben, it's kind of like honoring these different kinds of creatures or people from the afterlife, both spirits and demons and and angels as well. It's also been suggested that wearing of Halloween costumes developed from the custom of souling. We talked about this starting at least in the 15th century. During this time when they were going door to door collecting the soul cakes, uh, they were dressed up in fantastic costumes at that time as well. There's two other traditions to kind of talk about with costuming. There's guising and mumming. And I mentioned that earlier. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I want to know the difference. So mummies only? I'm, I'm curious. Mummy costumes only. Mummy for mummy. is cosplay for Mummies. mummies. That's really all it is. Yeah. Oh my god. And then the lesser known guys and dollsing is just a very <laughs> different kind of <laughs> guising and dollsing. Uh, so since at least the 16th century, these practices have been going on. And with guising, in order to deceive spirits, we've talked a lot about that deception. People would put ashes on their face from the bonfire, oh. and this eventually developed into wearing masks. A living person would recognize the spirit of a loved one and could reveal themselves, but otherwise remain safe from unwanted attention of darker forces. Mumming is, it kind of comes from this idea of mummers' plays. And these are folk plays where they're performed by troops of actors. And historically, they would consist of informal groups of costume community members, and they would visit house to house on various holidays. So it wasn't Mm. just this all souls, this Samhain time frame. Uh, this is a big tradition in the British Isles and eventually went out to a number of British colonies. The seasonal or kind of annual approach, they would do it during Christmas, Easter, Plough Monday, and to a lesser extent, actually, All Souls Day and Halloween. It would often include the collection of money. And a lot of these practices are compared to those of Halloween, Bonfire Night, Pace Egging, and First Footing. Ooh. At the new year. These are terms I did not look first up. First footing? Don't know what they are. We'll just have to put Pace that on the cutting room floor. Pace egging and first footing. How about that? Yeah, classmates, you can get extra credit by looking these up and letting us know what all yeah. these other practices were. Yeah. I think pace egging is some sort of like egg racing. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're talking about new year and spring and, you know, birth and new life and all that kind of stuff. That would yeah, make like sense. You, you roll eggs down a hill and whoever gets to the bottom first Ooh. without breaking is the winner. That's pace like egging, it. right? Sure. Uh, I think we're just going to claim that's what it is. I believe it. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? The costume of guising at Halloween in North America was first recorded in 1911, where a newspaper in Kingston, Ontario reported children going around guising in the neighborhood. Hey, you guys, let's go geisen. Let's go geisen. (laughs) So in 19th century America, Halloween celebrated with costume parades and licentious revelries. I thought that was a fun word. Licentious, yeah. That's one you don't hear these days. Bonus word. But again, with the Victorian era and the kind of prim, buttoned-up morality, that's when we saw a lot of these events or festivals become domesticated, as Ben mentioned earlier, and really making it more of a private holiday. And early Halloween costumes uh, really emphasized the gothic nature of Halloween. They were aimed primarily at children. Uh, They're often made at home. 
using kind of found objects uh, to create those costumes. Yeah, leftover objects like deer heads and cattle heads. That's right, you know, <laughs> animal Lying skins. Lying around from the bonfires, from the bone fires. Right. bones. And, and I think the, the last important thing that we'll talk about history-wise for costumes is in the 1930s when A.S. Fishback, Ben Cooper Incorporated, and other companies began mass-producing Halloween costumes for sale in stores as trick-or-treating was becoming, again, more popular in North ah, America. Capitalism. <laughs> Keeping in that tradition, the Halloween costumes are often, at this time, designed to imitate supernatural scary beings. They were those traditional monsters, vampires, werewolves, zombies, ghosts, skeletons, witches, goblins, trolls, devils, etc. So that's just a little bit about the history of costuming. Nice. Should we look at some real animals? Yes! Mikey, it is time to earn your keep. Let's see what kind of score you're going to get here on your homework. Tell us about the animals of Halloween. Cats and bats. What's going on? Why do we see them so much? Well, what do you guys know about bats? Nocturnal. Nocturnal, yeah. Experts say that nocturnal animals are often associated with death and darkness. According to Stanford University classic scholar Adrian Mayer, they engage in mysterious activities in the dark. And so they've been cloaked in superstition since ancient times. Their nocturnal nature combined with the fact that they often live in caves gave them a historic association with the underworld and death. Uh, Folklorist Frank C. Brown documented in the early 20th century that many Americans associated bats with death or bad luck. And the fallen angel Ariel was often depicted as riding on a bat as far back as Shakespearean's time. I mean, I'm not going to lie, bat is a solid pick for a mount. I mean, that's pretty sweet. If you can get giant bat as a mount. Yeah, and you got meatloaf in the background, you're set. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) I would do anything for Halloween. I was thinking more bat out of hell, but I, you know. Fine. (laughs) Why you got to hear my love ballads? All right. That is much much more appropriate, though. Uh, what else do you know about bats? Uh, they fly. Yeah. The sonar. Blind sonar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Something are... very unique about them, though. They know all the words to bat out of hell. They're mammals. They are the only flying mammal. All right. And some cultures consider them a liminal animal, coming back to the liminalness of Ooh. Halloween and how oh, the veil is thin. They're mm-hmm. not quite birds. They're not quite a normal mammal walking on the ground. Oh, that's cool. But there you go. So maybe that's where some of that Halloweenness come in. Other possibilities of why bats and Halloween may be associated. Uh, in Samhain, celebrations you know, involved those lighting of bonfires, which attract bugs, which in turn attract bats to eat those bugs. Oh, so they're like the bats are zipping around the bonfire and they're like, oh yeah, this is definitely part of the festival. Definitely. Mm. Well, that's kind of interesting. That's cool. I like that theory. Uh, also, some species of bat will hibernate or fly south for the winter. So, in the northern U.S., you can see them swarming in October or uh, sometimes November. Yeah. Where's that bridge in Texas? There's some bridge in Texas where, like, thousands yes. of them fly out during the summer or something. Mm-hmm. That's it's a Antonio. nightmare. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. a cool. Loving it. Fascinating. So, the other animal we're talking about, black cats. When you think of black cats, what else comes to mind? Witches. Of course. Yep. Some Celtic traditions believed that those who played with dark magic would be turned into cats. <gasps> so, dun, dun, not dun. quite to witches yet, but, you know, if you were a witch, you might be a cat as well. If you got mm, screwed. Interesting. Yeah. 
When Christianity started to spread, the church usually started lumping the two together. You know, if you're a witch, you must also have a black cat. If you worship the devil, cats and witches, hand in hand. Hmm. So the witches found themselves inheriting the black cats. And now it was believed that witches could either shift into feline form or the cats were their familiars. You know, just a little demon guide that the devil sent your way. A little Hmm. pet demon in the form Mm -hmm. of a cat. As you do. That's normal. Okay. In the Middle Ages, when many people believed that witches would avoid detection by turning themselves into cats. Hide in plain sight, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I promise not to make this a gigantic tangent, but like, think how complicated the mythology around witches is. And it's just instead of saying like, these women practice a kind of medicine we don't usually practice. You could have just said they know different medicine, but we invented the whole witches thing instead. Mm-hmm. That's bonkers to me. Holy cow. It's just a patriarchal society. I mean, what else are we going to do? We got to make something up. We're just bored. So we're making up witches. <laughs> Yeah, we have no entertainment. We just have mummers plays. We have to do something in the downtime. <laughs> We've got our mummers. We're a bunch of men with nothing to do but tell everybody else to do other things. So why yeah. not make women evil? You know. Oh, oh, might as well. Oh, my God. This is awful. All right. Well. <laughs> it gets better, right? Uh, it gets mm-hmm. even better. You know, we, this is the point where it turns around and we all love. No, sorry. It's the bubonic plague. Yeah. And oh, God. I wonder if you're going to get to this. Yeah. yeah yep, rats are spreading the plague. Um, and guess what? There's cats who eat those rats. And all of a sudden, we're going to just blame cats. And you know what? We're going to blame those women, too, that fraternize with those oh, devil cats. Oh, my God. So, there you go. It was women and cats that caused the bubonic plague. Later on, early America, with our favorites, the Puritans, those fun-loving guys, believe it or not, they distrusted anything associated with witches and sorcery. Really? Yeah, it's strange. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that did include black cats. Uh, they actively persecuted black cats, and it became a practice to burn black cats on Shrove <gasps> Tuesday, which is the That's day awful. before Ash Wednesday, to protect your home from fire. My goodness. By the time the anti-witch zeal had subsided here in America, black cats had been thoroughly cemented in popular legend right along those witches. Oh, that blows my mind so much because there's so many like ancient societies where cats were like holy, right? Like oh, cats yeah. guarded granaries. They were in charge of killing mice so no one starved in the winter. Right. And, like cats were mummified. They were they were cat gods. And for this thread to say, nah, they're super evil. I blame dogs. Mm-hmm. <gasps> What's the dogs, whole dog propaganda men, thing? Men's best friend. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you see these lines? They all connect. Uh, for, for our listeners, there's Red Yard all over Mikey's wall, and there's a dog photo in the middle. Yep. So the next iconic thing on our list would, of course, be jack-o'-lanterns. And as you've already heard in this episode, Halloween started in Ireland, and of course, so did jack-o'-lanterns. We asked the class ladies hi. Half of our classmates got that answer right. Way to go, everyone. I know we're still uh, shaking the dust off from summer, so uh, you know we'll be looking for 100% on that next time. But <laughs> you, you all are doing great. Uh, no, I love the background behind the jack-o'-lantern. So it's associated with this folktale of Stingy Jack in Ireland, a clever drunk who cons death into not being able to send him to hell. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, because Stingy Jack, because, you know, he's got a great nickname. He was like an upstanding citizen, of course, in his society. Very generous. Uh, he also could not enter heaven when he died. So when he died, he roamed the world carrying a small lantern made out of a turnip 
with a red-hot ember from hell to light his way. Mm. Uh, now, scholars of the time, people think that this, you know, looking in the marshlands and swamps at the night in the fall around Ireland, believe that this was will-o'-the-wisp or maybe some swamp or marsh grasses, that sort of, you know, the bioluminescence at night, maybe where this started. So that was the thing the Irish started was carving turnips and uh, uh, little faces or painting them or putting a candle inside. I've always wanted to attempt to do that. I've always wanted to do a traditional. To carve a turnip? Yeah, I've always wanted to do a traditional one. I would love for you to do that. I might have to do that this year. I was going to say, yeah, you've still got time. I can't say I've really cooked often with turnips. How big is a turnip? They could get like up to grapefruit size, like large grapefruit. Oh, that's carvable. You could do that. Yeah. Dude, if, if you carve one, will you send it to it? I want to see a picture of you carve a turnip. I'm going to have to use like amazing. a Dremel. I can only imagine how they did it back in the like, day. Because a turnip's like a tough kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like the consistency of a potato. Yeah, that's hard to carve. Yeah, yeah. like a raw potato trying to hollow it out <laughs> enough to put a candle in it. But you find gentlemen and listeners are saying, hey, I carve a pumpkin, not a turnip. Uh, well, that's because when the Irish came over in the mid-1800s during the uh, potato famine, there were a lot of pumpkins and not a lot of turnips. So it was just what you had to go with. The resources were easier and more readily available. And then they're like, these things are basically hollow already. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> We've been doing done. it. All of so wrong. much easier. There's so just we'll a bunch of seeds and goop. That's it. <laughs> Can we just it. agree? Can we agree that the Irish are just responsible for all good things? They I mean, are. I my mean, goodness. Much. I mean, the, we've got Halloween and whiskey. What more do we need? What <laughs> more do we need? You can't have Halloween season, I feel like, without watching some scary movies or hearing some scary stories. And if there's one man who loves to spin a scary yarn, it's Christopher. Chris, where did the scary story stuff start? Yeah, so the tradition of telling scary, spooky stories, well, it goes back, I mean, really to the beginning of culture. Storytelling is the most powerful transmission of culture, right? It's how we learn to avoid dangers, find food, water, and shelter, especially before we could record and store knowledge outside of ourselves. So storytelling has always remained a very powerful part of just survival of living. When you combine that with belief in ghosts and spirits that live among us, we find that this is pretty much universal throughout all cultures. From Mesopotamia and Egypt, Greece and Rome, China and India, again to Ireland and Scotland. This is a, a universal shared part of culture that goes back to ancient times. And the most common thread through all these cultures is that the soul of a human survives death and goes on to live in another place mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. afterlife. Also with that is the belief that if something went wrong with the rites, rituals, funeral traditions, this would cause the soul of the dead to stay among the living. And so that's really, I think, where we find a lot of rooting in telling stories. And what we found is in the late 18th century, these stories became a lot more menacing because this is when gothic fiction came into popularity. Gothic fiction. I like that. Yeah, gothic fiction is very specific, right? It's dark imagery. It's bleak. There's always fog. It's a dark castle. And gothic horror is a style that I think we're very familiar with uh, when you think about Frankenstein, Dracula, even a Christmas carol, right? Mm. Ghosts rattling chains on the staircase. Mm -hmm. Like this is really some of the foundational part of, of gothic fiction, but it's believed the very first gothic novel, Castle of Otranto in 1765 oh. from one Horace Walpole, it's said that he had founded the horror story as a legitimate 
literary form. So this is where we start to not see it as storytelling, folklore, tradition, that kind of a thing, but it's really a legitimate genre of literature mm-hmm. in its own right. And this story that he told was one of royal marriage, accidental murder, and ghosts. Ooh. Ooh. So I love it. Gothic fiction, 18th century. This is, again, really where we start to see this become more of a formidable type of storytelling. And then the last big milestone that I want to talk about is when we see the first horror story or scary story come to the screen. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To film. The first depictions of the supernatural on screen appeared in several short silent films created by French pioneer filmmaker Georges Millier in the late 1890s. Of course. Of course it was him. Yep. Go back to season two, episode three of 80s High to hear a little bit more about him. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Also go watch Hugo. It's a beautiful movie. Yes. um, Great movie. But the best known of these tales was the short film, basically that translates to The Haunted Castle. I won't butcher the French, but uh, (laughs) it's The Haunted Castle or The House of the Devil is sometimes referred to. This was in 1896. And uh, the film is sometimes credited as being the first ever horror film. Oh. It's currently available on HBO Max. Oh, really? A bunch of George Millier's stuff is actually on there. It's pretty cool. Brilliant. That's awesome. have Have you seen The Haunted Castle? Uh, I've seen it on YouTube a long time ago, but I do need to rewatch it, like the update, like the nice restored version that's on HBO yeah, Max. I'd yeah. be interested. That's yeah. cool. So the summary is a mischievous devil appears inside a medieval castle harassing the visitors. <laughs> so that's just a little bit of some of the origin. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but I think those are some really important aspects of, uh, of history and culture that come together to why we can't not tell and listen to all of these scary tales. Do you guys have a favorite ghost story? Oh. This is one from childhood that uh, freaked me out and I loved it so much. The Green Ribbon. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Peter read that at your scary story party, right? He did, yes. And uh, if he didn't, I was going to. So when he said he was (laughs) reading it, I was like, perfect. Because that is one of the most formidable memories of a scary Mm -hmm. story as a child. How about you guys? I mean, I love The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I mean, it's a classic. Yeah. And you guys remember when you used to get books that came with a tape of the book yes. being read? Yeah. We had this awesome copy of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which is beautifully illustrated and then read by, I want to say, Emma Thompson. Oh, wow. And so it was this fantastic tape recording of it. And we used to listen to it before we went to bed. Which, why would you? Yeah, I know. Like, why would you listen to a scary ghost story before you went to bed? That's just why wouldn't you actually? I know. So, I love that one. And then another one, uh, slightly more obscure, is called Lost Hearts by M.R. James. Hmm. Okay. Which is a fantastic story about an orphan kid who goes to live with his uncle who may or may not be taking in kids to live with him who mysteriously disappear later. Oh, goodness. And the ghosts warn him of his uncle. It's pretty great. Oh, my God. Uh, I wish I could remember the plot, but looking at the cover of In a Dark, Dark Room and Other mm. Scary Stories is, is, <laughs> so is tingling some sort of nostalgia, oh. horror as a child. Yes. Th- that is bringing something back. And of course, like scary stories to tell in the scary dark. Scary stories I read that a lot to tell as a the kid. Dark, yeah. a lot. There were a lot of good ones in that. Those illustrations, yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, very haunting in that. But Mikey, please bring us home. There's two final icons, at least I think. We could go on forever yeah. uh, of Halloween. I feel like you see a lot of apples and, of course, haunted houses. Yes. Following up after your pumpkins there, we got to talk about the apples. So where do you think you could trace the origins? Like how far back do you think the origin of Apple and Halloween go? I'm going to go back to biblical times, Adam and Eve, the Bible, I mean, the forbidden you're not fruit. you far off. <laughs> when, was, when was Johnny Appleseed? I think it started there. <laughs> <laughs> when was he sprinkling his seed across the country? Yeah. That was Okay, <laughs> okay. Hey, I didn't write the rhyme, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris was closer. Uh, 43 AD. The Roman wow. Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. And in the course... Of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origins were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The Mm, first was Ferelia, which is a day in October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the Passion of the Dead. And the second was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. The symbol of Pomona is an apple. And the incorporation Uh, of this celebration into Samhain, which probably explains the tradition of bobbing apples that is practiced today. Oh, Halloween. How about oh, that? Interesting. Okay. Uh, throughout Europe, apples, apple peels, and even pips have long been used to peer into the romantic future, as you mentioned earlier, Ben. Huh. Is this where you're the apple of my eye came from? It <gasps> probably is the origin oh, of that phrase now that, that you mention it. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. That'd be okay. so cool. When the early European colonists first brought apple trees to North America as seeds, also known as pips in their pockets... These customs came with them. Bobbing for apples was one of them. In one popular version of the game, girls would secretly mark the apples before tipping them into a barrel of water. The apples floated, and as the girls' potential sweethearts ducked to catch the fruit with their teeth, future couplings would be determined or foretold. Oh, okay. Uh, Girls also continued the tradition of using the apple peels to divine their romantic destiny. In the fall, in New England, when you would prepare the mounds of apples for butter or cider or whatever, you'd have to peel them. And what you would try and do is get the whole peel off in one go, which is just fun in and of itself. Yeah, Yeah, I I like doing that. It's a good time. But you take the apple peel, you throw it behind you over your shoulder, and then you turn around and supposedly the shape of the letter that it takes while lying on the ground is the initial of your future husband. Oh. That's interesting to me. Are there any letters you feel like would be impossible for an apple peeled? Q. Like poor yeah. Quentin, that little tail. Like Quentin <laughs> just eternally I mean, it was a cursive the... Q. <laughs> That's true. Maybe. A K? I don't know if a K would be. K would be really hard. Yeah, Kevin would... over there. Yeah. Just yeah. lonely Kevin in the village. Yeah, poor Kevin. Somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As for candy apples, that's a more recent invention. When do you think those were invented, guys? 50s. 50s, Ben? Yeah, that's that's like a way to celebrate sugar being allowed to be in production. Yeah, again. They're right. like, we got sugar back. Let's put it on Get everything. Get rid of those circus peanuts and bring out the apples. That's right. Great. Exactly. Uh, no, actually, 1908 hmm. is claimed <laughs> to be when they are invented. The idea or the story goes that in 1908, William Kolb accidentally dropped some apples in some candy syrup. Oh. That's the origin of all these stories. I accidentally Oops. did yeah. something and a new product was right. made. And Frankenstein's monster was born. That's, That's a lot right. more recent than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. It's cool. 
He sold the whole first batch for five cents each and later sold thousands yearly. Soon, candied apples were being sold all along the eastern shore and at circus and in candy shops across the country. Mm. And that's apples for you. How do you like them? I like them apples. Now, to bring us home, Mikey, there's a rumor that you have scripted out an entire episode of 80s High just about haunted houses. <laughs> I mean, I could do a, a whole episode just on haunted houses. This is probably my favorite tradition of Halloween is going oh, to haunted houses. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear the origins. I don't actually know what they are. Yeah, yeah it's, no it's actually pretty awesome. I didn't know some of this either, and I was pretty excited to read it. Uh, so the origins of the haunted house date back to the 19th century of London. When a mm. series of illusions and attractions introduced the public to new forms of gruesome entertainment. Can you guys take a guess on what maybe that was? Jack the Ripper. I mean, he was probably featured in it, actually. Wait, gruesome entertainment? Madame, T- no, Madame Tussauds, is that too? Yeah, you're right. No. Marie, oh, really? Yeah, oh, Mary Tussaud. In 1802, Mary Tussaud scandalized British audiences with an exhibition Whoa. of wax sculptures of decapitated French figures, including... Louis the Fourteenth, Mary Antoinette, and Marat and Robosphere. Mm-hmm. Don't know who those last two are, but apparently they were there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tussaud's likenesses were remarkably accurate, and with good reason, because she often took death masks of the French Revolution's many guillotine victims. Whoa. That's a specific hobby. Yeah. What do you do this weekend? Nah, I might well... go fishing. How about you? Well, there's a guillotine going on. I think I'll go over there and make a death mask. <laughs> Mary, I don't think we should talk anymore. That's right. When she set up a permanent London exhibit, she dubbed her grotesque collection the Chamber of Horrors. Ooh. Oh, God. It's a name that is stuck to the Wax Museum to this day. Can you think of anything else maybe that happened at the end of the 1800s that we may have talked about in season two, episode three? The Civil War. No. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> something French. Oh, the Grand Guignol. No, that was yes, Italian. Yes, no, you were correct. The Grand Guignol. Wait, oh, really? Yes. You are crushing history tonight. The student has become the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> 1897 is when the Grand Guignol opened its curtains. Ran until 1962, of course. Plays where lots of bloodshed happen. Obviously, yeah. a huge oh inspiration of what you know the modern day haunted house would be. For yeah. sure. But according to Lisa Morton, who is the author of Trick or Treat, A History of Halloween, the modern Halloween-themed haunted houses first emerged during the Great Depression, which just Uh like, you know, the idea of modern Halloween apparently came out of the Great Depression. So did haunted houses because American parents needed a way to distract young tricksters whose holiday pranks had escalated to property damage, vandalism, and harassment of strangers. It reminds me of that woman you mentioned been in, was it Kansas or Oklahoma, where yeah. she's like, enough is enough. I got to exactly. stop all this. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Uh, they came in about the same time as trick-or-treating did, she says. So, yes, there you go. Uh, cities looked for way to buy these kids off, essentially. That's <laughs> so good. The first haunted houses were very primitive. Groups of families would decorate their basements and hold house-to-house parties. Kids could spook themselves by traveling from basement to basement and experiencing different scary scenes. Mm. I've got an excerpt here from a 1937 party pamphlet that describes how parents could design a trial of terror to spook your child. Oh my god. I cannot so, wait to hear this pamphlet. Here we go. 
An outside entrance leads to a rendezvous with ghosts and witches in the cellar or attic. Hang fur, strips of raw liver on walls, where one might feel your way to dark steps. Lord oh Emerson. You know, just throw some raw liver on the walls of your house. Some raw <laughs> like liver. <you> do. <laughs> That's like terrifying. Weird moans and howls come from dark corners. Damp sponges and hairnets can be hung from the, feeling, the ceiling to touch their faces. Doorways are blockaded so that guests must crawl through a long, dark tunnel. At the end, you can hear a plaintive meow and see a black cardboard <laughs> cat outlined in luminous paint. A bit tame by today's standards, one would think. Yeah, except for the raw liver. The raw yeah. liver is, yeah, that's oh, up there. That's God. even more hardcore. Yeah, hanging organs. I mean, come on now. That's intense. Yeah. Uh, but the haunted house didn't become a cultural icon until, what do you think pushed it up over the top, guys? Think of the most famous haunted attraction you can. Uh, the haunted house at Disneyland? You're correct. Oh, really? Yes. true, man. Walt oh, Disney man. decided to build his own haunted house. Disneyland's Haunted Mansion opened in 1969, nearly two decades after Disney first approved the project to begin. Have you guys been on that ride, by the way? I've been on it. I mean, I've been to Disneyland multiple times, and it is my favorite ride. And it's I, a great yes, ride. It holds it's been up. a long time, yeah. Yes. But oh, so much fun. It's fantastic. The attraction, which was designed in the style of the Evergreen House and the Winchester Mystery House, quickly became a success. Mm -hmm. In a single day, shortly after its debut, more than 82,000 people passed through the Haunted Mansion. Whoa. Within a few years, the Haunted House has spread across the country. The United States Junior Chamber, also known as the JCs, which is a leadership kind of civic organization for youth, became famous for raising money through Haunted Houses. I remember JC's Haunted Houses, yeah. man. That was always like the big name on those. Yep. I actually have worked in a couple of Haunted Houses, and the first one I ever worked in was a JC's. Nice. Uh, the fundraising venture was successful enough to spawn its own how-to guide. Uh, in California, Knott's Berry Farm began hosting its own Halloween night attractions, which soon transformed into multi-week slate of events. Uh, and evangelicals even made their own anti-Halloween attractions, I think, we all remember that. I bet that was real fun. I bet that was a really yeah. good They hand out time. soul cakes? My yeah. goodness. Soul no. cakes. Did you guys ever have an experience with these and remember what they were called? No. What were they? They're no. called hell houses. Oh, my God. And so the point of these lovely attractions is that it's just set up like a haunted house. You, you know, walk through various scenes of horror, but they're all sins that will send you to hell. Oh. Yeah. No. It basically, it's scared straight, the attraction. It's horrible. <laughs> that sounds. I mean, to get technical, isn't that just like walking through a mall? You're like, oh, there's gluttony <laughs> in the food court. There's vanity looking at all the clothes you can you buy. You know what reminds like, me of? You go to a public restroom and you're like, oh, there's a $20 bill over here on the counter. And you pick it up and you unfold it. And it's basically like it's religious literature. <laughs> yes, it's a trap. Yeah, yeah, you it, hooked me. It's a yeah. trick. That's what uh, it sounds like. It is tracks a trick. will come up again later in this episode, sadly. Oh, Jerry Falwell and Liberty University introduced one of the first Hell Houses in 1972. So, you know, it's got the Jerry Falwell name. You know it's quality. <laughs> you know it's, it's got that stamp of approval. From JC's to Jerry Falwell. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, my uh, goodness. And finally, we get to the 80s. In the 1980s, as Hollywood began to embrace slasher movies like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, season two, episode three. Episode three. Give that one a little listen to, maybe. <laughs> 
the haunted house industry reaped the benefits. The horror boom fueled the demand for scary attractions, not to mention cross-promotional advertisements. According to Larry Kirchner, the head of the Haunted House Association, which sounds like an organization I want to be a part of, honestly. Wait, is that right? real? Is that yeah. made up? I would, yeah. That sounds like a lot of Heck fun. Heck yeah. Please. Uh, if you went to a haunted house in the 80s, you would have seen a lot of Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Pinhead. The mm. haunted house industry really followed the movie industry at that time. In the 80s, professional haunted houses first emerged as a force to be reckoned with, quickly outspending nonprofit groups like the JCs. Then... Sadly, in 1984, tragedy struck. A fire at a haunted house in New Jersey trapped and killed eight teenagers. Not a great time. Oh, gosh. Ouch. My goodness. In the aftermath of their deaths, attractions were shut down and politicians enacted stronger safety regulations. Volunteer organizations struggled to compete against the new competition, and with these tougher rules, soon many were forced out of business. Kirchner estimates that roughly 2,700 of them operated nationwide in 2016, and a large haunted house attraction can reportedly earn $3 million during the Halloween season. Wow. Really? Oh my God. That's, That's wild. Yeah. That's a lot. And according to an NBC report in 2016, the industry is worth $300 million. Wow, that's crazy. That was great, guys. Thanks for breaking down Halloween. That was awesome. I really appreciated it. Uh, Mike, you got into a great transition there talking about the sort of monsters you would see in a haunted house in the 80s. Let's venture on down the hallway to chemistry class to talk about what Halloween really looked like in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fight the patriarchy and get on my broomstick there and fly down the chemistry <laughs> class, and I'll meet you guys there. Yeah. So we're here in chemistry class. Let's kick off. Do you guys want to share some of your memories that you have specifically of Halloween in the 80s? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Where to start? I mean, trick-or-treating. Let's just start there. I want to start with that. Yeah. I think the earliest costume I can think of is I was dressed in a very – speaking of found objects in the house, my parents dressed me in some – it was like kind of a onesie and I had this like floppy hat on. I don't know if I was supposed to be the traditional hobo. I didn't have my little like, <laughs> bindle or anything, but it was a very like phone it in. But I remember the photo of me standing there next to my brother and he was a gunslinger and he had his like his arms to his side like he was ready to grab his pistols. So that's probably the earliest photograph I can think of of me uh, trick or treat. But the earliest memory I have, I believe, is the next year and I went as Papa Smurf. Oh my god! I, the money I would shell out to see you yeah. as a young Papa Smurf. But this is very specific, Papa Smurf, because talk about mass production. This was a Kmart. Oh costume. yeah, Kmart. Remember that, Mikey? So good. Yep. So you had the like po- rain poncho like yeah, smock, the nylon plastic. <laughs> yeah. Cheap, yes. like a like a picnic tablecloth, cheap. And then you had like a pie plate of a character with like a rubber band. Yep. And it would like cut your face and you'd oh, get all sweaty and Your hair would get pulled out as it yes. moved around. Yes. Oh my God. And so, and usually the smock just had the name of the thing you were. Mm-hmm. So I would have had that Papa Smurf pie plate on my face with just a smock that said the Smurfs. <laughs> Oh my god! My brother, my brother went as the video game asteroid. So, (laughs) as the entire game. So same Kmart thing, but his mask was a pie plate of just an asteroid. So, (laughs) so it could be anything. Oh my god! (laughs) He could have been a potato. Basically, yeah. 
So I remember going out because my specific memory is this. We went to a house and there was a, a younger child who was not trick-or-treating helping his mother hand out candy. And as I was leaving, he said to me, bye, Smurfette. And I started <laughs> Crying. No, I was crying. Oh, and he wasn't he wasn't crushed. like a little like he wasn't like a jerk kid. He wasn't like see no. a Smurfette. Yeah. He was just like, bye Smurfette. And I was, yeah, in tears. I was so sad by that. Why can't he tell that I'm Papa Smurf? I'm Papa Smurf. It's written on my costume. It's, it's literally insulting. on my snog. Can't you read? Oh wait, you probably can't. But anyway. That's but so those are some of my like earliest memories. That and I think You know, we talked about our thriller episode, season two, episode four, the music video short film sensation by Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson. And I remember that's, you know, we talked about it in that episode. My brother and I got to stay up late when we knew that was coming on television. We got to watch (laughs) it. So that was like another big memory. Mikey, do you have some stuff? I'm not as, how do I put this gently? Aged? As you are. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was real gentle. Wow. That was gentle as a no, soul No, no. I was much younger in the, the 80s. But I do have some, like, those are when my earliest memories are. Vague memories of trick-or-treating. At that time, uh, we were living in California. So I didn't have to bundle up for trick-or-treating right. like Ooh, a lot of people. Right. Yeah, Not yeah, like in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. I do remember a skeleton being, like, my go-to favorite costume as a kid. Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. And I had a mask, but on Halloween night, my dad would paint my face, which was awesome. Uh, And I do have a a memory of going to a costume contest with my dad's face paint on and winning the kid prize. Oh, Oh, no way. uh, Which was a little green devil plush, you know, stuffed animal that I had for the longest time. I basically wore it out and it had to get thrown out. That's amazing. Were you painted as a skeleton? Yeah, like I had a skeleton, you know, like form fitting, you know, onesie or whatever. And then my dad, who is a very good artist, uh, you've probably, you remember seeing some of his work in my house, Ben. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, he did a bang up job on my face. So I think that's why I won. Super cool. That's awesome. I, uh, you know, I, my costumes weren't as epic. I dropped a couple of these pictures of these in the chat for you gentlemen tonight. But I, I was uh, both store bought a, a little waddling fuzzy penguin. One year. And the other one I always remember, I was a spider with a top hat. <laughs> that is a... <laughs> it's a ridiculous costume. And that like, is amazing. I, I think you're, you're forgetting the key part of this costume, Ben, is that you're wearing what seemed to be tights. Oh, I was like definitely wearing black see-through tights. tights. 100% <laughs> I had nylon. And you have on. like strawberry shortcake freckles. Guys, all spiders have freckles, don't you know? This oh, is yeah, amazing. Scientists. And um, the pose. The, the pose is, the pose is I'm very fast. proud. That's yeah. very proud. The cherry on top. Listeners can't see it, but he's bow-legged and crouched. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's such spider a look of joy on his face. Oh, it's amazing. He's the happiest I you guys I love little spider I've ever seen. But I loved it because you had strings on your arms down to your other other legs. So when you lifted your arms, all your spider legs would go up and down. I thought that was cool. Oh, that cool. is cool. That's great. Uh, pumpkin patches were really big in my family growing up. We would mm-hmm. always go to like a, a farm's pumpkin patch and pick out pumpkins. Um, there's a picture. I'll, I'll put this up on our Instagram when we publish this. But um, – my uh, painted pumpkins won a blue ribbon at the county fair in the 80s, which my Look at you guys pumpkins, winning prizes. Look it's, at it's, you. you know, oh. It's my mother's work. It's my mother's artistry. <laughs> Let's you be honest. You just signed your name to it? 
Much yeah, like Mikey, exactly. it's probably his dad's, you know, artistic ability yep, that yeah. got him to win. But, I mean, parents helped us with our projects and stuff all the time. I mean, come on. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But actually the most visceral memory for me in the 80s uh, was my parents were out at a Halloween party and my brother was home babysitting me. And he was sitting on the couch alone and he was getting ready to watch the movie Halloween. Mm. Which, um, Mikey, I'm sure you can remind everyone, how does that sort of start the credit sequence is a jack-o'-lantern with, yeah, a candle lit in it that is slowly zoomed out from. Right. So my brother had put me down to bed. He thought I was asleep, but I heard this movie on, and I came sneaking down that the score, stairs. Yeah, that Carpenter score. I mean, you would and have to try yeah, and find out. That score is going on, and it's zooming out of the pumpkin, and I am right behind the couch, like inches from my brother's head. Not trying to scare him, just watching the movie. And I sort of just, like, clear my throat and he <laughs> screamed so loud and jumped and like whipped around. I got in a lot of trouble. I had to go back to bed. Oh, that's amazing. Fortunately, I didn't see anything else because I probably would be in an institution. Yeah. I'm traumatized at that age for seeing Halloween. I think what was big in the 80s is costumes were either largely made at home with stuff you already had. Or like you guys talked about, if you were of a fancier family who could buy a costume, <laughs> you know, this Ben Cooper brand was big. This plastic, mm-hmm. basically a designed garbage bag you put over yeah. your body mm-hmm. with a painful plastic mask, that elastic around your head. That was kind mm-hmm. of the standard, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think in the later 80s, they started to get a little more elaborate. But now we can all go to a spirit Halloween store and find Ugh. an endless rack of things, right? And if you're fortunate enough to live in a city where you have maybe a year-round kind of costume novelty store, I remember, Ben, I don't know if you remember this in Ohio, there was Foy's. Foy's? Foy's. It was in Fairborn, Ohio. Oh, okay. And Foy's was this year-round store where you could get, like, the premium stuff. It was, like, really solid stuff that was so good. Even uh, Champaign, Illinois, uh, when I was living there, had, like, a really cool year-round store. I don't remember hmm. the name of it. Oh, but, that's cool. You know, if you had those kind of places, they were, like, premier. But it's, like, these days, it's usually the old Best Buy that gets turned into yep. a spirit Halloween for <laughs> yeah. a couple of months, you know? <laughs> Wait, for a couple or of the empty shell of the Kmart. Or the empty – yeah, yeah. Ironically enough, the old yeah. Kmart where we used to get our – Old supplies, we now get our new ones. But you didn't have a lot of those, I think, or they weren't as popular. As normally, you would go to these, you know, name brand stores, mm-hmm. and you would just get. Uh, it was junk. Let's just say it was yeah. like yeah. cheap and quickly <laughs> totally. made. It was junk. It wasn't stuff that you could, you know, no, you reuse once year after year. Exactly. Mass shout out to our parents, like in the eighties, yeah. our parents everywhere, because like there was no Pinterest. No. You weren't like looking up like, oh, my kid wants to be whatever, mm-hmm. a gremlin no for Halloween. There's no guide for it. Yeah, you had to figure it no. out. You yeah. just see a picture of what your kid was into and you're like, all right, here's what I have in the basement. Let's see what I can do. Like yeah. props to you for pulling that off. That's amazing. And like I said, I, I had the skeleton onesie for that costume. My mom made it. That's awesome. Oh, Good wow. for her. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember when I was Freddy Krueger one year, and I think this was during the 80s, but it could have been early 90s. I got the mask and the claw, mm-hmm. and I think the fedora came with it, but like you had to make the oh, rest yeah. of the yeah, outfit. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I remember like my mom was going through her closet trying to find something red, and I think it was red and black striped is what we came up with. Yeah. It wasn't like the big, thick red and green bands like Freddie has, but it, you know, you just close you enough. had to find what you wanted. Uh-huh. It was close enough, and 
It's funny, like a lot of stuff, like a pirate, it's often me reading my mother's closet. Like it wasn't like my dad's closet. <laughs> she had the good stuff. Yeah, like a pirate. You know, you wanted like a billowy blouse, a right? Fluffy so it's like, shirt. oh, you know, a exactly. Fluffy shirt. A puppy like, shirt. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like you had to go like raid the parents' closets or like you said, go through the basement. Grandparents often could be a great source of Finding cool stuff if you wanted something a little more historic or like, I want to wear a fedora. Well, maybe grandpa has a fedora. Grandpa might have a fedora. Yeah. When I was older, Goodwill was the go-to. Yes. Oh, yeah. Goodwill shops. I loved going to Goodwill. Absolutely. I think that's still like a huge mainstay, people Mm -hmm. going to stores like that and trying to find anything. Yeah, piecing it together. Exactly. Once you get your like sweet costume all set up and you're out, of course, you're you're wearing it for – trick-or-treating which mm-hmm. i think is another difference in the 80s where like there was and i'm kind of mixing contemporary culture here a little bit but there was like one night there was one night to go trick-or-treating yep. and there wasn't like oh, maybe we'll go sunday night or this neighborhood's doing it on monday night so we'll go then there was one it was halloween night whatever that was yeah now you could get a detailed list here's here's my callback you could get a detailed list by going to season one episode 12 of our sweet treats episode <laughs> for lots of sugary callbacks but i mean is there any particular like candy or goods that stick out to you guys from from early trick-or-treating i mean we talked about the circus peanuts i mean let's just get the junky <laughs> ones out of the way <laughs> the candy, corn. Of the way. candy, candy corn, corn was trash people that gave you nickels and dimes because they forgot to buy candy <laughs> Um, the little religious cassette tapes, sorry, uh, or religious tracks. folks, but wait, you got religious like cassette tapes. I never got religious cassette tapes. I would get a track every once in a while. It'd be like a little single and it would be, you know, like a religious inspiration. Basically. <laughs> could, you, could you put it in Teddy Rexpin and he would like read you the good word? Oh, no. I think so. Yeah, on? you absolutely <laughs> could have. Yeah. And then there was like the orange and black wrapper that was nondescript and it was uh, it was like peanut not, butter taffy. But not Once again, yeah, peanut. It wasn't quite peanut, it wasn't quite taffy, it was no. just some kind of gross mix in between. It was that, a large lump of earwax that they added some sugar oh to. That did neither well exactly. <laughs> but I, I mean any of the candy bars I pretty much liked. Your butterfingers, mm-hmm. your Snickers, yeah, Milky Way, like any of that kind of stuff was my go to. Yeah. Mikey? As a kid, I used to love when you'd go to the house and they'd give you like the individual foil wrapped chocolates that were in the shape of like a pumpkin or a mm. werewolf oh, yeah. or an eyeball. Right. But it was just like the trashiest non chocolate chocolate out there. Yeah, it's like ninety mm. percent like, paraffin. It's just yeah, yeah, it's it's some brown sugary paste that hardened and it's doesn't like have any than cocoa Hershey's. butter. Yeah, yeah, it can't exactly. actually be considered chocolate. But I loved them as a kid. Now I hate them. It's like the same flavor as those chocolate bunnies you'd get at Easter. Yes, exactly. Although the one thing I wanted to ask was, what was your candy gathering receptacle of choice? I think we normally used pillowcases. Yes, exactly. We used pillowcases yeah, right. too. Yeah, in the eighties, like the pillowcase was the most common go-to, unless mm-hmm. you had that like old-school plastic pumpkin jack-o'-lantern the, the, yeah the jack-o'-lantern with the handle um mcdonald's fancy, later though. had the boo buckets. yes which are coming back is that where you were going ben yeah i mean the boo buck and you know i'm gonna put it on our instagram too but like i got we got pinged in our inst- in our 80s high email by like the boo bucket pr person for mcdonald's no way 
Yeah, they like send us a bunch of media and they're like, Blue Buckets are coming back. If you want to talk about it on social, we're not going to be mad. Like it was, it was sort of weird, but uh, it might have worked. I might actually put up a picture about it. So, but it was great because you could get your Happy Meal in it and then you could use that next year at trick or treating uh-huh. with your little, you know, although it's not big enough. Like if you really got a good haul, it wouldn't be big no, enough. That's that was why, the same with those right. jack o' lanterns. Yeah, they weren't big yeah, enough either. And that's why the pillowcase is so mm-hmm. great because it's massive. Yeah, the pillowcase implies a lot of hope. For your trick or treat night, you're like the literal pounds of candy you could pull in. We actually had Halloween themed pillowcases too. Oh, that's cool. And what's even crazier is that we had St. Patrick's Day themed pillowcases, we had Christmas themed pillowcases. My mom was super into holidays when we were little kids and would go all out decorating. That's great. So, like, did you guys have regular pillowcases in your house? Or were you like, I guess I'm sleeping on the St. Patrick's Day one tonight? No, we had normal ones. But literally, like, when October rolled around, it was like, all right, here's the Halloween pillowcases. And you, like, slept on it all month. And then here's Halloween. You whipped the pillow out of it. And you went and trick-or-treated. That's awesome. I think, you know, the other thing about trick-or-treating in the 80s, you know, like I said, it was just on Halloween night. But it's sort of like when it started to get dark and then it went until you were exhausted or there were no houses left to hit up. Like, again, this is a contemporary culture blur, but like today it's like, all right, Monday from, you know, four to six, our neighborhood Uh is going to trick or treating. Yeah, and it's way (laughs) earlier too. It's so early. For us, it started when it got dark. Yep. Like in the 80s. Not until after dinner. Yeah. Like when the sun was going down. And in fact, if kids came to your house and it was still light out, you're like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to get a jump on this? Yeah. Go home. And now it ends before it even gets close to being dark. And that to me is so fascinating. Again, I know we'll talk about it more. Uh, One other thing, Mikey, to your point about decorating is I always love houses where people did something cool. They had a mm-hmm. strobe yeah. light. They had a yeah. someone that looked like a character sitting on a bench on the porch and you're like, do I go up? Is it really a person? Is it just a dummy? Like stuff like that was so much fun when people got into it. And it really just helped heighten the enjoyment of the season and always loved those houses. Did you guys ever go to a house that had a like haunted attraction set up in it or like a walkthrough like graveyard no. or something? But I want to say the TV show Roseanne mm-hmm. is what kind of introduced me, I think, to that idea. Because there was a, I think in one of the earlier seasons of Roseanne, they have a haunted house and like the kids go through the house, they go through <laughs> the living room, they go into the the kitchen and maybe even out into the garage. Mm-hmm. And that idea was so cool to me, but I don't think I've ever been to one. Ben? I have one, but I'm saving it for contemporary culture because it happened okay. in the 90s and like literally traumatized me for many years. <laughs> it was a horrifying experience. I'm excited okay. to share the story. We've shared some of our favorite memories of the 80s, but we also asked the class of 80s high to get in on the action and help all of us remember this great decade for trick-or-treating. And so we asked, uh, what's your favorite Halloween tradition and why? We've sort of talked about some of ours. The first person here says, when I was a kid, it was definitely the trading and swapping of candy after the acquisition <laughs> and the trick-or-treating was done. These days, it's just me eating my kids' candy without them noticing. The dad tax. <laughs> the dad tax. That's what, what I call that. it. <laughs> the dad, numb. That's good. Uh, Chris, you want to read another one of these? Yeah. So another listener says, scary movies. I could not agree more. I'm going to talk a lot more about that in contemporary culture. We're going to try to rein it in, but scary movies, <laughs> yeah. always a great tradition this is great it's kind of nice i think we had someone who was not a child in the 80s right this one which is really great handing out the candy and seeing everyone's costumes fills me with all the joy 
Yeah. It's kind of sweet. It's kind of nice knowing that the, the parents were getting in on the happiness of it, too. It's a family event by then, I right? can say being older and not trick-or-treating, but doing the handout stuff was always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I wouldn't say it's equally as fun, but as an adult, it was such a joy. Oh, yeah. I've got mixed feelings about that, which we'll get to in contemporary. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right. Good. And then last but not least, I used to love carving pumpkins in school when I was a kid. My favorite part was baking and eating the pumpkin seeds. Oh, yeah. I forgot that that was kind of a thing. My sister got really into that for a while. So that's cool. I bake pumpkin seeds every year. I love roasting pumpkin seeds. Mm. Like I do lots of different seasonings on them and stuff. It's a great time. And speaking of school, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the things at school. Like, did your oh yeah, did your schools do a lot of tradition stuff? Yeah, like that's I was going to talk about that. Like my school always like you could wear your costume to school like the day before. Yeah. Like if it was Halloween day of, you could wear it then or like whatever right. the nearest day was. Now I don't think they let you do that at all. And also, like, they decorated. Like, all the halls mm. would have something. And your teacher would decorate the room and everything, too. Yeah. That was always so much fun. I think that's where I encountered bobbing for apples. I think that's, like, the only place mm. I've ever done that. And we did a parade around the school, too. Like, yes. when you wore it, you got to leave <laughs> around sometime. You all have to march around the school with your Halloween costumes. That's on. Awesome. It was awesome. We did that, too. I remember. I was a ghost uh, one year. And I, we'd, I remember doing the little parade around the schoolyard. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to say like scary stories and songs actually were a big part of school. Like I remember this is like kindergarten, well, maybe not kindergarten, but first and second grade, definitely, where for music, we would sing scary songs. Oh my God, (laughs) that's awesome. It wasn't really singing, but it was more like oral storytelling, like in Mm -hmm. a dark, dark room, there was a dark, dark house. You know, that that kind of thing. I just remember like that was so much fun. And actually, this is where I was introduced to the Green Ribbon. Okay. The story of the Green Ribbon oh, yeah. was actually in school, which is so hilarious because it's a nightmare story. If you don't know the story, I don't want to give it away. But basically, it's about a guy who meets this girl and they fall in love. And she has this green ribbon that she always wears, but she'll never tell him why. Mm-hmm. And that's the gist of the story. And at the end, there's a, a frightening conclusion. But as a kid, I remember that being such a nightmare story. But I loved it. I wasn't scared by it. I was like excited about it. And we'd like... I remember we'd do like coloring sheets where you could like draw. Oh, I remember we would color a haunted house and you could cut out the window. And you know the thing where it's like a pinwheel where you put a pin in it and you can spin oh, yeah, it around yeah. and different. Yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. a bat would come up or a witch would mm-hmm. come up. So you could just like spin the thing around and the different like monsters would pop up in that yeah. top window. That was so much fun. Well, the one other thing I want to talk about, I mentioned this in season two, episode three. Um, my mom managed a blockbuster when I was a kid, a blockbuster video. Oh. That explains all the things. I know, right? (laughs) Uh, And she would decorate the store, too. And that was one of my... I remember going in there around Halloween. Yeah, and getting to see the store. And and of course, you know, that trip down the horror movie aisle, looking at all the boxes of the VHS of the movies I would never Mm. see until I was an adult. You know who has, like, a surprising weird collection of, like, 70s and 80s horror movies? Is Amazon Prime. They do have quite a few. It's such an interesting collection. And I think I mentioned this in season two, episode three, but Tubi, (laughs) uh, T-U-B-I is a free streaming service. They have, honestly, I think the best collection of horror films out of all of the streaming services. It's amazing. It's free. Classics. And it's free. Yeah. And the ads aren't too bad. No. And it gives you a warning when the ads are coming. That's the best part. So it doesn't fully pull you out of the movie. It's great. And it's like, yeah, four ad breaks per movie kind of thing. 
yeah. tolerable. Do you guys remember like uh, television specials? So yes. I mentioned Roseanne. Like that was a regular show <laughs> oh, that yeah, had sure. a, yeah. a Halloween two episode. I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Okay, which ones did you have? I had Garfield's Halloween. Did you guys oh, watch course. the Garfield cartoon? Yeah. I did, but I don't remember this one. He's like a pirate, I think. Doesn't yes, because there's a like pirate? a ghost okay. pirate. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, everybody thinks I'm going to say Charlie Brown, but I'm not. The Grey Pumpkin? No. Nope. I'm going to no. go with uh, Scooby-Doo. Uh, specifically. <laughs> Every specifically, episode? No. <laughs> no, there was a special where Shaggy was a werewolf. And they had to drive in a car race for Shaggy to get cured of his werewolf and they had to win the race. Mm. Do you guys remember that at all? No. No, but that's an amazing memory. Nicely done. And it's got like all the famous monsters in it. It's literally like, you know, Dracula driving a coffin mobile and Frankenstein and this electric monster truck. Yeah. That's That's awesome. Good throwback. I mean, with some of those specials, something. So I text you guys, I was trying to think of this. If you, the listener, want to go back and try and really see what trick or treating and Halloween looked like in the mm-hmm. 80s, we could only really come up with two movies. There's the trick or treating scene in E.T., right. when they like t- turn him into For a ghost sure. and yeah. they like walk through the daylight. So you can really see like what costumes were like during that time. And like Halloween. I mean, Halloween takes place on Halloween. It's That's late 70s, right? Yeah. But still. Right. Those are the only two like prominent movies of that time, I think. Yeah. You know, because anything made afterwards is kind of looking through rose-colored glasses. It's a little mm-hmm. different, but like that was setting up a trick-or-treating scene in the 80s during Halloween. It's the best we could do. You posed that question. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then we couldn't really we come couldn't, up with no. anything. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. It's funny that you mentioned like E.T., obviously, because I remember growing up like – and still now – the trick-or-treating scene in that movie, for some reason, oh, yeah. is like the go-to scene that I think of. I don't know why, mm. but it's that scene that I think of. There's some great whimsy music, and like E.T. sees like a Yoda costume, and they like have a moment with oh, each other. So like, you, like, if you guys remember that, like it's a legit Yoda costume too. Yeah, with for a sure. Really yeah, good-looking yeah. like helmet mask, like clearly movie production quality that somebody right. in the production made because no kid, oh, yeah, yeah. no kid was walking around with that. Not at all. That was awesome. Yeah, but I did take my mic at flack for this. I took my three-year-old daughter to go see E.T. And she absolutely oh, nice. loved it. And yeah, that scene too, like totally like, oh, it's Halloween. Like she totally got it and was like, oh, that's so yeah. cool. Oh, that's awesome. My wife was really worried that she would be scared of it. Cause I mean, it's got some, you know, creepy moments, scary moments if you're a little sure, kid. Sure, yeah. She was totally in it the entire time, wasn't phased at all. Kind of like what's going on with E.T. when he gets sick at the end there held great through the whole thing and we walk out to the car we get to the car and i put her in and she starts bawling and i'm like what what is wrong like your your mom is going to be so mad at me i've traumatized you what's wrong (laughs) and she said dad i just love et so much (laughs) and it was like oh it's okay we've got the movie at home we can watch it again that i love that is amazing and a great transition to what it's like to celebrate halloween today hey why don't we fill our tummies a little bit? I hope you have a better chef than the last time I was here. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I found a fingernail in my food last time. It was attached to a finger. Uh, I mean, you know, it's time uh, of the season, man. Well, they've hung liver up on the walls that you can just pull down. Oh, oh there it is. Which is so go. great. Oh, pick, pick your own mm-hmm. liver day. <laughs> uh, pick your own liver day. But, you know, we have about 19 times in chemistry said, I'm going to save this to contemporary culture. So let's go down the hallway and get to those bookmarks <laughs> and make them happen. 
great cereal, Frankenberry. Frankly, it's very good. Our visitor, perhaps he'd like a monster for breakfast today. The real Frankenstein! This monster's not on the menu! What Frankenberry cereal is? <laughs> Strawberry flavored marshmallows? <laughs> it's part of this complete breakfast! Good! How about a monster for breakfast today? For real? Rayovac is providing free personal kid sized flashlights for use when trick or treating Halloween night. These flashlights will light the way to safer rounds of the neighborhoods. To get your flashlight, just come to any Madison Burger King on October 30th and ask for one. No purchase is necessary, and Burger King will give you a special treat bag and a coupon good for the soft drink of your choice. But the supply is limited, so get to Burger King early. And remember, be safe this Halloween. Wear light-colored costumes, be extra careful crossing streets, and ask your parents to check your treats and throw out any unwrapped ones just to be safe. I loved it. The lunch lady threw the liver at me like I was at Pike Place Market when they throw the fish. Hey, so it's yeah. great. I, I, I feel like I was right at home. She just chucked the liver at me. It's like, hey. So contemporary culture, I kind of want to talk about Halloween since the 80s up through today. You know, how does the season find you guys in 2022? How are you celebrating Halloween? Still love it as an adult. I mean, still hasn't lost any of its magic. <laughs> we mentioned tracks multiple times and how they were such a bummer whenever you got them. So my Halloweens as a kid were super awesome until probably the mid 90s when suddenly my parents became evangelical Christians and Halloween was uh, Halloween was literally the devil and we are no longer Mm. celebrating it. And so Halloween became shut off all the lights in the house and you guys can do whatever, but we're not giving trick or treating out. Uh, And then that quickly evolved into, okay, we're going to give trick-or-treating, like, we'll give candy out, but you have to give a track out to the kids as you do it, too. Which was like, wow, Mom, now I'm the bummer? Thanks. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, as a teenager, when suddenly they apparently stopped caring, it was, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. And now, funnily enough, as I'm an adult, no longer able to enjoy Halloween in that way, they're all for it again. That's good. That's great. So it's kind of evolved over the years. But, you know, in my own personal experience as an adult, I loved handing out candy to kids, seeing all the different costumes, as that other listener said in the survey. Um, and now with a kid of my own, I've got to deal with the hard realization of I'm going to have to stay home while she goes trick-or-treating with mom because she's going to want mom and not dad to go trick-or-treating. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Stick with the theme, Chris, sort of like in the post-80s, in the 90s. What are some Halloween memories that you had? What did it look like for you? Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't remember doing a haunted house in the 80s, but mm. I definitely remember like coming into my preteen through, you know, teens and 20s years. I love doing haunted houses. Oh, yeah. That was such a, a fun yeah. thing. And in Ohio, we had haunted hay rides often, mm. which I kind of enjoyed more than houses. I think just because it was like, it was cool to be on this tractor-drawn oh, yeah. wagon going through the woods. It felt scarier to me. Also, maybe because it's more open, I felt like danger could come from any location, mm-hmm. which was cool. And then I do have to say, the most amazing haunted attraction started probably in my late teens, early 20s, in Wilmington, Ohio. It is a take on a hayride, but they take a school bus and they chop the top off. Amazing. <laughs> And they drive the buses through barns. 
vehicles are coming at you. Oh my god! So where is this again? This is in Wilmington, Ohio. Okay. I'm still go. there. Wilmington Haunted Hollow Ride. If you live anywhere near there, make the trek. It is still going on. It's still amazing. Like, you know, a, a big construction vehicle would come out and, like, you know, the, the scoop would, mm-hmm. like, be dumping overhead. Cars would come out, blaring their horns, flashing their brights. And the big finale was a semi-truck with flames coming out of the tailpipe. <laughs> what? <laughs> And it rams the bus. It's absolutely, hands down, the most brilliant attraction. Yeah. So cool. We love doing that. That's awesome. The other thing that I think was really big for me is urban legends and scary stories. Mm -hmm. When you were at Mm -hmm. school and you'd hear kids like, hey, did you ever go by, you know, all the ones. Crybaby Bridge. Yeah, yeah. You know, some road where you have to get out and put your keys on the hood. You turn the lights off. You do the whatever. I loved that. And I remember I'd hear about all of these roads. Because, again, you can't just look them up on the internet. Mm -hmm. It was word of mouth. And people would be like, oh, you don't know about Carpenter Road? Oh, we went down to Fudge yeah, Road. Right, Where's right, Fudge right. Road? Well, Fudge Road is here, here. No, it's over there in Germantown, and you got to go this place. And, you know, the lore is this. And that was so exciting to me. I freaking love that so much. Oh, yeah, my cousins and I, we'd go out to these scary places and try to do the things, mm-hmm. which was so much fun. And then the last part of that is just hearing people tell real stories that happened to them. Yeah. Part of me getting into some of the urban legends, my mom had this story when she was a teenager and it was Carpenter Road in Ohio, this road that they would go down and some crazy stuff that happened when she went down there. I loved hearing those stories. Mm-hmm. Sitting outside, it's cold. You're you know maybe sitting around a fire. You're just sitting in a circle. It's late at night and people are telling these creepy tales. Ooh. Freaking love that. <laughs> oh, I had so an good. aunt who used to tell a story. You guys know, like, the folk of, like, the black dog. Like, I mean, the grim or whatever you yeah, want to call it. It's yeah, a yeah. very... I've seen Harry Potter. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I mean it's made <laughs> a very well-known, like, folk <laughs> right. tale of, like, you know, a black shadowy dog. It's like an omen of death or, you know, it's a demon dog that will attack you kind of thing. My aunt once was walking her dog uh, out on this dirt road near their house. Uh, and, yeah, was, like, chased by a black dog. That mm. she escaped from and then like, you know, the dog was never seen again type thing. Funnily enough, it this was on a dirt road that had no name, but then became known as Black Dog Road. And oh, I still wow. I still That's think eerie. of that road. I've driven it multiple times as, you know, an adult. And I always <sighs> think of it as Black Dog Road. Uh, so you guys have both talked a lot about haunted houses and i've sort of had an arc with haunted houses oh wait, let's tell us your horrible story i can't do haunted hay rides because i'm allergic to hay no <laughs> but, but, but like what oh, i was you're like, allergic to hay and candy. i know it's terrible it's terrible a holiday against you <laughs> When I was at the Cub and Boy Scouts, we would make a haunted house every year, like mm-hmm. for our community. And that was always like fun. I really enjoyed that. I liked haunted houses as a kid. In Cincinnati, the best one was the USS Nightmare, which was a riverboat, like a real riverboat oh, wow. on the Ohio Ooh, that's River. That's cool. But they turned into a haunted house. That was super fun because you were literally over the water on some elements, like catwalks yeah. and stuff. There was one I went to post-college called Waverly Hills in Kentucky, which was an old real sanatorium yeah, that they I've turned into Waverly a haunted house. It's oh like it's been featured on one of those like ghost hunting shows. Uh-huh. Terrifying. I bet. But then there was this gap. And my wife and I had made this friend from overseas, and it was Halloween time. She was around here and she'd never seen a haunted house. Aww. And we're like, oh, let's take you to a haunted house. <laughs> 
And so we go, because we're trying to show her all, you know, these fun, silly, uh, once Celtic, now American customs. Uh-huh. And um, outside you hear like the bang, bang, bang and the, like the chainsaw, uh-huh. people screaming. And she's like, you know, I'm, I think I'm just going to stay in the car. Uh, you guys have a good time. And so we went through the haunted house and I had so many jump scares and like honestly scary moments. That was almost like 12 years ago and I've never been to a haunted house since. It wow. scared the bejesus oh, out of me. Interesting. They, they scare me now, like a lot. Like I'm pretty scared That's of haunted crazy. houses. They're Do you know what intense. changed? I, maybe I got more familiar with how scary the world can really be. That's weird. Yeah, you loved it as a kid and then as an adult. No, you can't handle it. Yeah, I was it. like, yeah. nope, that's enough. But you guys both worked in haunted houses, right? Yeah, I worked yeah. I worked in a couple. Uh, one of them was, as I said, a JC's one. Another one was a Boy Scout one, just like you. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, then yeah. the other one was for uh, in Montana, where I spent most of my childhood. We had a Air Force base in our town. So one of the uh, squadrons put on a haunted house. And my buddy's dad uh, was in the squadron, and so we got to work in the haunted house, and it was great. Was it on the base? No, it was in. Uh, oh. It was right near the base, but it was in like an old. It used to be kind of like a family fun center, kind of you know. So it's a big warehouse yeah, building. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Got to work. Yeah, in that loved it. Like seriously, some of the most fun I've had in Halloween was working at those. My. Mom's friends had run this one. It was geared for younger children. And so the kids could take flashlights if they wanted to. Mm. And someone would come ahead if it was a no scare. And so you would like take your mask off and wave, you know, to kind of help them get acclimated. Or someone come through and they'd be like, all right, let's scare the crap out of these kids. They're ready for it. (laughs) I remember I helped a couple seasons and really enjoyed that. Like it was kind of, I'd never done it before and it was fun to... I wouldn't say be on the other side, but to be dressed up and like trying to scare people yeah. versus going around and collecting right. candy. Uh-huh. And the the other one I only did once, my friend was doing it and he's like, they're looking for people. And it's like teens were all the monsters, which mm-hmm. I don't think is uncommon. But I remember it was like a, um, a nature walk and people would go through this field and it was like roped off. And all we right. were just off in the distance and we could kind of do whatever we wanted. Yes. So like, okay, you're sitting here out in nature and we'll come up behind you and attack you. And we were just more having fun than I think trying to scare the people going by. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was an effective one, but I just remember we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, with trick-or-treating, in the 90s, my favorite costume I ever put together was with my neighbor, David. And out of a refrigerator box, we made a, a Star Destroyer. That's great. And David, exceptionally taller than I am, he's the con tower in the back. And I'm like the little nub in the front of the refrigerator box. That was my favorite costume of all time. And my other sort of like shameful admission, the last time I ever went trick-or-treating, and I'm wondering if you guys can remember that, but the last time I ever went trick-or-treating was freshman in college. My roommate and I went as Batman and Robin. That's great. In like a neighborhood nearby. (laughs) Like what era? What era of Batman Robin? Um, I put a picture in the chat and you can determine for yourself. I would say that's definitely 60s. It's the 60s Adam West. We just need to be very clear. The costume is quite different than it is if you're like Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah. I'll say my childhood toddler tights came back. There's tights again. I would say tights again, huh? Yeah. And like we tried to do it ironically. Like, oh, it's so funny as we're adults. But like- People were pretty annoyed that we were out <laughs> trick or treating. Like we were clearly 
not children. But at least you put in effort. I would give you candy because of that. If you came right. just dressed normally and you're like, trick or treat, or like I you're not dressed as anything, I'm a teenager. You know, that's a different story. At least you put in some good effort. So we tried. I, I, I would have given you candy. That's we tried. Fun. Mikey, did you have like a all-time favorite costume? For some reason, skeleton's really big on me, apparently. Uh, I had a Grim Reaper costume that I really loved, um, which... You know, had like an exposed rib cage on the front. Oh, cool. And then like a hood and, you know, like yeah. long flowing robes kind of thing. And then once again, my dad painted my face up so it looked awesome. Did you have a scythe? Uh, I didn't have a scythe, no. Oh, I think that, that was my, my, my parents' one rule when we were actually doing it. It was like no weapons. <laughs> I think they knew we no would we- just no weapons. beat each other with them. Fair enough. I felt like they had like plastic ones at some of those. Stores. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. No, I for get sure. it. I get it. Yeah. And then after kind of that point was when my parents were like, "No, Halloween's bad. We can't do it anymore." But I think mm. thinking back on it, really, that was my favorite because I remember wearing it around the house a lot, like before and after, <laughs> just like the costume part of it. <laughs> just lounging around watching Saturday yeah, morning no, cartoons. Really. Like honestly, I think there's a picture That's of me awesome. like sitting on a couch, like with a bowl of cereal, watching cartoons. That is brilliant. Yeah. I love it. And I think for me, like definitely as a kid, my favorite was that Freddy Krueger one, just because I love Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street mm-hmm. so much. And it was like the first one I felt that was more elaborate because we didn't have a lot of money. So we often didn't get to buy stuff. It was mostly like found things yeah. and maybe I could buy a prop or two. But that felt like the first one where I had like a full thing. So it was kind of that merging of the love of that. Plus, you know, feel like I you know had a real costume, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Oh, yeah. man. I just remembered that I've I've got to change my answer now. In high school, our friend group, one of our friends, she threw a Halloween party and I made my own Evil Dead 2 Ash costume. So I had had the blue, you know, chambray work shirt and, you know, khakis and boots. And then I had somebody splatter me with fake blood. Oh, that's great. Uh, And then I had bought a toy chainsaw and like, Used a Pringles can <laughs> no. and duct taped it so I could have, yeah, like a chainsaw. That's can. Awesome. I completely That's forgotten awesome. about that until you were talking about it. Yeah. I mean, the other one sounds cool, and I'm sure Dad did great no, face yeah. paint, but that, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that's was, great. that was yeah. great. That was like, yeah, yeah, one of the few Halloween parties I went to as a teenager. Yeah, and I would say as an adult, my favorite is I went one year as Dexter. Ooh, oh, nice. Good. This was a little good, more good, recently. Good. You know, I don't know, Dexter was maybe halfway through its run. But, but I just decided so to do it. Like I had the little, I know, right? I had the little <laughs> syringe uh-huh. and I That's put, awesome. um, I think I put like my tripod and I wrapped it in some towels. So it felt like it was body parts. And I carried it around in a black trash bag <laughs> at the party. And I had the gloves on and everything. So it looked like Dexter. And the best part is uh, one of my friends came as Walter White as Heisenberg, with oh, the, yeah. you know, the pork pie hat and everything. And there's a great photo of me sneaking up behind him with my syringe like I'm going to take out Walter White. Awesome. It was a, it was a great shot. That's, That's probably awesome. one of the, my favorite Nicely ones just cuz I had a, I had fun with it. Well, Chris, we did ask the class of 80s high what yeah, their did. favorite costumes of all time were. We got some solid answers here. Yeah. Our uh, musician of uh, our great theme song uh, was actually teaching in South Korea for a little bit and he went as hmm. Bob Ross. 
<laughs> he said there was a television ad at the time featuring Bob Ross, pretty sure without copyright permission. Uh, but anyway, it went over better than he thought it would, and everyone knew exactly who he was. Wait, so in South Korea, they knew who Bob exactly. Ross is? Bob Ross is eternal. American right? public access? Wow. Right? You sure they didn't think he was Richard Simmons? They were like, Richard Simmons! <laughs> oh Richard Simmons, friend of the oldies, I know that. I was literally Bob Ross last, no, two years ago for Halloween. <laughs> Oh, really? oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Painting your little happy little trees around the neighborhood. Nice. Yeah. Uh, another listener said, Wicked Witch of the West forever. Solid. Yeah. That's a solid a witch. Pick. It's classic. You get the green face paint again. You can make it look really nice. Hey, they made a musical and a book about it. Come on. Come on. Come on. What else we got? Another classmate said, probably when I was Darth Vader as a child. Mm. It was a cool <laughs> costume. I can still remember the smell of the plastic mask. It's a memory I think I'll carry with me forever. Do you think this is one of those cheap ones, or did they have an honest to goodness like? That's good a good question. I was a Vader one year, and but it was like a rubber mask, and I remember that smelled super funky mm. inside of it. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, this might be the classic. I mean, they said plastic, so this might be like the cut into your skin classic uh, yeah. Ben Cooper ones. Yeah. Mikey, I remember a story I, I said earlier that I didn't really fill out here. So, I mean, I remember the Halloween in high school where we all got the Ouija board and that was really scary and kind of fun. But there was this one trick-or-treating night. You asked me if I ever went to a homemade haunted house. Mm-hmm. So one mm. night trick-or-treating in my neighborhood. It was getting really late in the night and I had lost my friends. I had gotten separated from my group. So I was by myself. I don't know if I lingered too long in a house. Maybe I went back to use the bathroom and then couldn't find where they were. But I was down this street in our neighborhood that I rarely went on. I didn't have any friends living on it. And it was kind of like most of the houses' lights were out. Like, not many people were handing out candy, but there was one house. And he walked up, and on the garage door, which was closed, there had a sign with an arrow that said candy. And it pointed around (laughs) the back of the house. Oh, my God. So I'm by myself. No one is down this street. And as you go down the side of the house, there's more signs that are like, are you getting scared? You're almost there now. (laughs) And you turn the door... And the back, like the door, like a normal door to the back side of the garage is wide open. And there's a sign pointing in that says candy. And so I walk up to this door and I poke my head in and all of a sudden a strobe light shoots on. There's streamers hanging down. And at the far end of the garage where the garage door is, is a big pirate chest open with candy in it. So me, I'm like, I'm going to go get the candy. Mm -hmm. So I walk in and the minute my foot is inside the garage, like death metal starts blaring. Like, (laughs) (laughs) mortified, but I keep going. I keep going. So now I'm, I'm in the middle of the garage. It's probably a 20 foot dash back to the door I came in and some dude in a werewolf mask just starts running laps around the garage like <laughs> circling me like a shark and i am blood in the water as i am trying to get closer to this candy and the minute he comes out of whatever hole he was in i just run plunge my hands into the bag and run as fast as i can back out the back door to this strobe light rah, 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 werewolf guy run around <laughs> horrifying <laughs> That's less of a haunted house and more of a how can I traumatize kids prank? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh is that not what you guys experienced? That's no, not, what not you at found all. On Halloween night? Once again, why do you love this holiday? It seems to <laughs> yeah. conspire against you at every I'm turn. I'm allergic to most of it, and it's been yeah. terrifying. Yes. Oh, oh my well, goodness. that's good because that that gives me a good segue into the last antidote I had about the haunted houses, which oh, please is if you want to see a proper haunted house is there's this great documentary it's on tubi uh it is called the american scream 
And it's about like, I think five different people who every year they put on a haunted house, you know, in like their backyard or as part of their property kind of thing, you know, for free. And it's, you know, about like how much it costs them and like the neighborhood and how they feel about it. It's great. Like super nice little slice of life Halloween documentary. That's yeah. Great to watch. Nice. Solid. That's awesome. I bring up this topic so carefully and I'm so nervous to bring it up with the given audience, but let's just give it a go. We all love movies and Halloween time is a great time to watch some Halloween themed movies. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I like to mix it a little bit, a little comedy with a little horror. So mm. like my favorite 80s movies to watch around this time are Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, and Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. Are kind of what I like around this season. Horrors. Okay, yeah. Right? It's kind of an oddball, but I don't know. It's kind of a Yeah, scary. if you're limiting yourself to 80s, it's a great one. That's my 80s huh? one, yeah. Are there, you know, doesn't you guys don't have to stick with 80s, but are there movies that you really love to watch around this time of the year? I go for all scary, pretty much. I love found footage movies, so oh, I will always yeah. mm. keep watching found footage movies. I'll take risks <laughs> on bad ones because sometimes there's a diamond in a rock. Yep. Wreck? Did you like Wreck? R-A-C? Oh, yeah. I've seen Wreck. Yeah. Quarantine is based off yeah, of Yeah, Quarantine is a remake yeah, exactly. of it. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much shot for shot. Oh, is it that close? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a good one. I think a few that are always on my list are uh, The Descent. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's probably a so very scary. top, top contender. Terrifying. Great movie. movie. Terrifying. I love the paranormal activities, so I, I always like to watch if there's new ones or just the OG is great. Mm-hmm. There's literally in the whole pantheon of horror, there's nothing scarier to me than possessed children. And <laughs> uh, those movies sure. scare the bejesus out of me. Uh, the Ring is another great one oh, to watch. So love good. Ring. So scary. I, that's one of those few American remakes that I think is better than the original, honestly. I agree. I uh, think it yeah. was better than Ringu. Yeah, Ringu. Yeah. And another one I love is Hell House LLC. Now, this is a, a slightly more recent mm-hmm. found footage movie, but it takes place in a haunted house attraction. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, oh, no. the concept is there's a haunted house attraction where actual bad stuff is happening. And that's all I'll say about it. But it's just of the found footage genre, I think it's one of the best, if not the best currently. It's just very well done. Mm-hmm. Hell House so LLC. So I love stuff like that. Things that are legit scares. Watch them in the dark at night. Oh my God. Whether people are over watching it. We do like scary movie marathons or I watch them by myself. There's a lot more, but I'll, I'll keep it at that. Oh, so scary. Movie Master Michael having grown <laughs> up in a blockbuster. What are some of your favorites around here? Are we doing um, this by year? No. Yeah, by year, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually have kind of broken them up into decades. Um, uh, but speaking on Chris's found footage, the one I would recommend you probably seen it. Uh, it's called As Above, So Below. Oh, it's so good. It, th- that one was one of those like on the edge. I don't know if this is going to be good or not. And then saw it and I was like, wow, that was great. Yeah, Very well that's done. one of my Very favorite well found footage ones. But um, for me, like if you go to 80s, like I love Evil Dead. Evil Dead yeah, is my favorite horror Classic. franchise of all time. All of those are great. Uh, the original Halloween is a must during this oh, yeah. month. More modern stuff. Um, Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat. Uh, not to be confused with Trick or Treat. This is Trick or Treat. Oh, that's so uh, okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's an treat. anthology film literally set on Halloween with a bunch of different stories and you know, a wraparound you know, combining story that connects them all. Uh, it's one of the best movies that like feels like Halloween. Like, it's got that autumn Mm. Halloween feel to it that's kind of hard to describe, but it just is a great aesthetic to it. 
I recognize the cover here of Trick or Treat. It's like looks like a little kid in like a sack. Yeah, that's Sam. He's named after Sawin, which spells oh, really? you know, you know, it's spelled Sam Hain, but yeah, that's, that's Sam. Right. No kidding. That's a What's cool his last name Hain? Was he Sam Hain? <laughs> Please tell me. Oh my god, that'd be so good. Oh, that was one thing that I learned from that movie, which we didn't bring up when we were talking about carving pumpkins, was that the idea original one of the original ideas for carving pumpkins was that you had to leave the candle lit all night to ward off ghosts and spirits that would try and come for you. Essential. And then like some non-horror stuff. Like I said, those two Halloween specials. Another one that was more modern, so I didn't bring it up, is a 1990s uh, Cartoon Network adaptation of a Ray Bradbury novella called The Halloween Tree. What? Which I really love, uh, which has the voice talents of Leonard Nimoy in it. No. Wow. Uh, and I've got to mention The Exorcist. Uh, I love oh. it's it's weird. The Exorcist is kind of a comfort movie for me. What? Okay, <laughs> I, hold on a it's, second. It's one of those movies that it's not been scary to me for a long time, but I love watching the filmmaking craftsmanship of it. Mm. And especially watching it with people that haven't seen it before and getting to see it work on them. But honestly, I think it's one of the best American movies made, period. It doesn't matter that it's horror. I just think it's a great film. Hmm. Uh, And it's, I mean, take away, you know, the demon possession. It's just an amazing family drama. And it is like, you know, perfectly acted, perfectly directed. There's not an ounce of it that I would cut. I love that movie. Hmm. Huh. It's beautifully done. Terrifying. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think the problem is, is it's got such a reputation that it scares everybody off from seeing it, which yeah. it really shouldn't be because it's yeah, beautiful film. I'm impressed that we didn't talk for 19 hours about our favorite Halloween movies because I think we could have. <laughs> contemporary culture can't be contemporary culture without comparing where the thing is today from where it came from before. So we did ask the class of 80s high, how do you think Halloween has changed from the 80s to today? Uh, Our first one talks about it's all so much safer. Trunk or treat in church parking lots the night before Halloween has replaced trick or treat for most kids. Mm -hmm. Trunk or treat is a big change. And if you don't know what that is, it's a bunch of cars coming to a parking lot. You pop the trunk open. They've got their candy. The kid does a 20 minute lap and they're done with trick or treating. Yeah. In broad daylight. In In broad daylight. Which I think is the most like I never really feel this way about things usually in culture. But that's the most like making me feel old, get off my lawn and my day sort of thing. Like, yeah, that just really sucks the meaning of it. (laughs) It was was better in my day. It was better in my day. Trucketry really sucks out of the fun for me. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, absolutely. Another listener said, I know my parents were much more lenient with how long I could be out trick or treating with my friends than I would be with my kid. Today, again, same thing we're talking about. We went out without parents. Yeah, it's 100% true. I mean, mm-hmm. after a certain right. age, like not, yeah. you know, three, four years old, but probably in still in grade school, late oh, grade yeah. school, we were just sent off into the neighborhood. And it was, it was dark. So like you fun. said, it was after dinner. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Well, it was sort of like in the late 90s and aughts, there was sort of this rise of like the fear of predators. You're going to get child snatched. predators out there. Yeah. We didn't get into the history of it, too, but I think since at least the 60s, there's been the whole poison candy myth, right? Razor oh, blades, exactly. all that kind of stuff. Like, that's been an urban legend, you know, into the 80s and probably even still to this day. But oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's sort of this, like, false fear, this false narrative of the dangers of the night. Not to saying that there aren't dangers. Like we said, like, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, people were getting hurt. Sincere vandalism, like, that happened. <laughs> but, you know, this this risk to the children in a neighborhood is, is definitely way overblown. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or you're doing a Celtic dance on a bonfire and your deer head falls off and you antler someone in the face. You know, <laughs> it's dangerous. real dangerous. It's a very real dangerous, dangerous holiday. Um, one more person. The, the biggest change for them were the masks. So when they were a kid, uh, they would wear a mask the entire time we were walking. A lot of these kids these days, including my own kids, will wear their masks for the first two or three houses, and then you'll yeet them to one of the parents the rest of the way. <laughs> just, there's no commitment with the kids today with the costumes. Come on. Yeah, come on, kids. Method, method. Yeah, you got to commit to the craft. Well, what, what do you guys feel? Are there other things that you think are different? I've got like a little list. Well, the one thing that's funny is that I've got stuff that's different, but not because of the time period, but where I am. Yeah, sure. Because, uh, as I said, like most of my younger childhood was spent in California, and then we moved to Montana, and that's kind of like grade school and on from there. Uh, And then when I got married, we moved to the Pacific Northwest, out where you guys were. And the Halloween kind of traditions are pretty comparable between the Pacific Northwest and Montana. Because in Mm. Montana, it got really cold in October. In the Pacific Northwest, it's, you know, a coin toss of whether or not it's going to be pouring rain on Halloween. (laughs) Uh, So it was, you know, you might have snow in Montana or you might have rain in the Pacific Northwest. But now that we have moved, uh, we're in the Chicago area right now. It is insane how much they love holidays out here, especially like, yeah, Halloween. Like Mm -hmm. we've gone to like four different kid Halloween festivals already. And like pumpkin patches are huge. We went to one a couple weekends ago that I told Ben about already, but it was literally a an autumn theme park. Like they had legit like theme park rides that were oh, they weren't awesome. just something you would take down after the season. Like there's something you would have to maintain and like keep clean and make sure it's not rusting. And like it was insane. And that's crazy out here. And all like every single street. I would say that 75% of the houses have decorations up. Oh, my God. Where we are. And the yeah, like trick-or-treating is just massive out here still, Like, which is cool. I'm cool. excited to experience that, finally. That's awesome. You mentioned something about like being different, different parts of the country where different things are happening. When I mm-hmm. lived in St. Louis for a hot minute, a thing kids do when they trick-or-treat is they tell a joke when you open the door. What? Like the That's kids the always have Louis, apparently. They have like a can knock knock joke or some like joke ready to go, and only after they deliver their joke do they get the candy. Wow. Wow. And never no heard I've never heard that. Yeah. No one warned me. So these kids kept coming up and I was like, why did this whole neighborhood think they're freaking comedians? <laughs> <laughs> you just say trick or treat, I give you the candy, you go away. That's all this is. <laughs> so that was really weird. The only other thing that I think is different. You know, almost a decade ago, you started to see teal pumpkins. People would set out a teal pumpkin, and that that was to raise awareness about food allergies. Oh. I felt I felt mm. very seen. It was far you after seen. I was trick or treating. Yeah, the kid allergic to hay was seen right. finally. But just yeah. reminded people of like, hey, your butterfinger might kill a kid tonight, kind of thing. Uh, and now you got blue pumpkins. You see that too, which is to raise awareness about autism, because a lot of these things that are shocking or loud or big crowds can be really oh, overwhelming for yeah. some kids. True. That's a good point. Who therefore can't experience Halloween because of how some people like to celebrate it. I mean, those those are sort of the differences that I some other ones that we haven't said yet. I feel like you're a very observant individual, Christopher. What do you find different? Yeah, and I feel like some of these we feel like yeah, it's better in our day, which I mean, there's things we certainly miss. Yeah, it's true. But I think there's some cool stuff too. I think 
costumes have entered an era where they can become much more elaborate. Yeah. Both because I think there's just more out there for people to get, but also like maker culture meeting cosplay. Mm-hmm. I've seen some really cool stuff have, that people have created. Oh, yeah. Or had created for them. Like I remember seeing a picture of someone, I think it was at like a Comic-Con, but she was dressed as GLaDOS from the video no. game wow. Portal. And it was like this amazing setup. And it's just like the technology and the availability, I think, through the internet to be able to source materials and just the culture of making, I think, is just makes it a lot more exciting that people can come up with cool stuff. I love that. Um, I think you also see a lot more. I'm sorry, every pumpkin I ever carved. Two triangles, a third <laughs> triangle, jagged teeth. Now people are doing like caricatures, scenes from movies, like just this really cool. It's artwork. Yeah. It's not pumpkin carving. It's beautiful. I, I love doing a detailed pumpkin. If I've got a little more time in normal in October, I love doing that kind of carving. That's fun. And I feel like that didn't happen in the 80s very much. I feel like that kind of evolved over time yeah. where you see that a lot yeah, more. Sure. And, you know, maybe it's because we do have access to Pinterest and, you know, social media and stuff like that. But that's so cool. I love that. I feel like haunted houses have become much more going the direction of extreme. Oh, yeah. These extreme haunted houses where if you get out within a certain time, you sign waivers, you know, that kind of thing. They're allowed to touch me, that kind of stuff. I was going to say the decorations in them are way cooler. Like well, with that's huge true set well. pieces and everything. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, they're definitely more elaborate, but I think they've you've just ratcheted up the stakes with some of these that are like haunted hospital. If you can get out in two hours, your money back yeah. or, you know, right? whatever. Really intense. Like you sign off that people can actually grab you and yeah. like take you away. And that stuff is really intense. I don't think I could do one of those. But. No, no, thank you. And then, you know, we talked about found footage movies. I think that's like a relatively new genre that really became popularized in the early nineties, you know, Blair Witch and last broadcast. And then you've got, um, well, I guess it could go back to 1980 cannibal holocaust but uh Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's but anyway you know (laughs) (laughs) different podcast but uh, you know just the advent of that i think is so much fun and i think last but not least the thing i want to mention is flash mobs oh i've given way to a lot of people doing like thriller dances just you know i would say extemporaneously but they are planned but you know you're out in public and all of a sudden there's like a thriller flash mob. And I just think that's like a fun way to celebrate a piece of 80s culture that has really lived on to this day. So that's some stuff that came to my mind. That's perfect. I kind of want to end contemporary culture on the most contemporary of all today, right now. Gentlemen, how are you celebrating Halloween today? Now? Myself, we've done the pumpkin patch thing. We put out our decorations, which largely spiders for some reason. That seems to be the core of our Halloween decorations are like, but they're like fabulous spiders. They're very glittery mm. and like shiny. Do they have tights on and um, <laughs> top hat, strawberry shortcake yes, freckles? Exactly. <laughs> you know, we'll 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 take we'll do the trick or treating thing. Uh, I actually just finished assembling the adult uh, Ecto One Lego set for Ghostbusters. Oh, that's right. Like multi. I've never done a grown up Lego set. Uh, and that felt very Halloween, like while I was watching Ghostbusters, uh, mm. the movie I was kind of putting together. But how are you guys celebrating Halloween? As I said, I've uh, been to a bunch of kids' festivals and stuff like that. Uh, most of them good. Most of them. But also me and my wife um, got to go to, at the Chicago Botanical Garden, every year they do Night of a Thousand Jack-O-Lanterns. 
Oh, my God. So it's like, you know, a nice path through the gardens that you walk through to see these pumpkins. And it's lined with, you know, your standard face jack-o'-lanterns. But then on pedestals, they have these ones that are just massive with these great carving murals, basically, on them. Like, you know, super detailed and everything. So that was fun. Nice little date night we got to do. Nice. And then, yeah, like, like Ben said, decorations up on the lawn and, you know, getting ready for trick-or-treating is kind of it. Christopher, how are you tearing down the season this year? And a surprise to 0% of listeners, I am watching a lot of scary movies, <laughs> particularly found footage, but not exclusively. So really, yeah, I'm just on a quest. I'm, I'm wanting to watch a lot of new stuff. I will revisit a few of my favorites. I echo everything Mikey said about Tubi. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. If you can't find it on Amazon Prime, go to Tubi. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, they're going to have it. I know there's Shutter and some other services, but I was blown away and I had never used it before. And if you're trying to find something specific, there's an app called Just Watch, which oh. you can download on your phone. You can type in the movie you're trying to find, and it will tell you what service it is streaming on. That is brilliant, because I usually Google search it, and it's not always 100% accurate, so I need to get that. That That's is amazing. straight up probably the most valuable thing our listeners are going to get out of this episode. <laughs> just the Just Watch app. Well, that reminded me, I just wanted to piggyback on Chris's movie watching real quick. I got to go see The Exorcist in theaters. Uh, just this past week. That's also why I kind of did my own little mini rant about how much I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it is fantastic. Did it have her spider walking? Did yeah, it was the in? it was the quote unquote uh, version you've never seen before. Yeah, that's great. Creepy scene. So terrifying. Um, well, there's only one place left to go, and that is to the basement of Mom's house, and we're gonna go divide up our candy. And as we separate the piles, we're gonna see how Halloween holds up today. And all mm. sugary goodness. Are you gentlemen ready to head to math class? Yeah. So that means we give you all the licorice and you give us the rest of the good stuff, right? Wow. Welcome <laughs> to every Halloween of my childhood. Yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. I'll see you guys there for the exciting conclusion of my trick-or-treating night at nine years old. Ooh. So, Ben, I have this pile of Laffy Taffy for you. <laughs> Thank you. And I saved you. All of my circus peanuts and peanut taff. Oh, wait, no, that will kill you. Well, and it wasn't until age 10 that I tested negative for chocolate. So you also get like all my Hershey's oh, bars. That's true, that's and, right. I mean, poor anything. Child. M&M's. Once again, Halloween conspires yeah, against kids. How did you should enjoy it? start like, with you? Did you actually enjoy it as a kid? I don't get you it. You know, it's sort of like having a bond with like a, a war you survived. <laughs> that you're like, you're like, I survived Halloween. I respect it. <laughs> I feel like I get it. Man compares Halloween with fighting in war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I survived. It was amazing. There were uh, landmines everywhere. I told you my story of the garage. It's amazing I'm alive. Do we need to start with you on whether it holds up or not? Yeah. Are you okay, buddy? <laughs> Do you, do you want to talk about it? No, do Mikey, you need a virtual hug? We would be very rude if we as gentlemen did not let our special guest go first. Mikey... Tell us, like, leave us with your final thoughts about Halloween, the holiday. I love Halloween. As I said, it's my my favorite holiday. I More than Christmas, I love it. It's yeah. everything you want as a kid, even more so than Christmas, I think. Like, you know, getting to dress up, you get to have fun with your friends, you get candy, you get to stay up late, uh, often you get to watch spooky stuff, which is fun. Yeah, I just love it. And, you know, the whole idea of fall and autumn, that awesome wonder and magic that you feel as a kid, like, you know, the idea of 
you know, the thinning of the layers between the world. Like as a kid, when you still believe in things yeah. uh, that you, you're not sure about, like Halloween is everything about that. Mm. And as an adult, even like it still holds up. And especially now that I get to see it through the eyes of another kid, like it's even more special. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I love it. Mm. Christopher, some thoughts on Halloween? So for this one, I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I'm going to put a little twist on this. Rather than say whether or not Halloween holds up, I want to talk about why I think the spirit of the holiday remains so important to our culture. Okay. And there's just there's just three things I want to talk about. And the first one is, is we have a natural fondness of fear, mm-hmm. right? Fear, it gives us that adrenaline rush. Those endorphins kick in. We get that chemical high from the fear response. But real fear doesn't necessarily feel good. Being in a nightmare garage with a teen wolf roller skating around you to thrasher metal, maybe that's a nightmare of terror. But I think what's great about Halloween is it's kind of like a safe way to explore our fears. Oh, yeah. I think it gives us a lot of those perks without necessarily the negatives. And so I think that's why it's so indelible. And that's kind of my second point. It's like safe confrontation, right? We can watch scary movies, go to these haunted houses. It's how we can not only look at fear, but look at the mystery of death. Because a lot of this is also confronting death, which is inevitable for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. We don't like to talk about it, but this is like the one kind of holiday other than like Dia de los Muertos where we can kind of examine death and think about the afterlife and all that stuff. Uh, We spend so much of our time avoiding it, but Halloween allows us to invite them in openly, but also collectively. We kind of share that experience, which is my third point. Halloween brings us together. It's a ritual. Rituals by their very nature are meant to be socially binding. They bring folks together. We celebrate, whether it's Celtics who are celebrating the end of harvest and the transition into the fall season, or we're coming together to, you know, let kids do a trunk or treat that's a lot of fun and they can go around and get candy and you can see cool costumes. You know, it not only brings us together in that way, but it also is a way to kind of break down some social norms. Yeah. This is like the day when you can do stuff where you kind of get a pass. Like if you walk around mm-hmm. in a Freddy Krueger costume on March 8th, <laughs> people are going to ask you what you're doing. But like on that day, it's like anything goes. Hopefully you're not vandalizing things. Don't do that. But it's like, you know, you get this like fun examination of, well, there are these social norms. I get to break it down. I get to be somebody else. I think that's really cool. It allows us to like play and pretend and again, scare freely. And I think these are only just like a few reasons why Halloween endures in our racing hearts and our terrified minds. I, for one, cannot wait to see what new creepy recipes creators concoct to make things go bump in the night, (laughs) to scrape on our windows, and dance in the shadows of our imaginations. You know, even if your topic selection is, like, next, I feel like you should always do the final say in math. You always have such, like, (laughs) eloquent wrap-ups. I can't follow that up. I'm just winging off the cuff. Like, there was, like, some seer thoughts of that. What you got, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I I can't top that. That was really, really good. You know... (laughs) I think one of the strengths of Halloween is that it has evolved so much over the millennia. It's a holiday that stays fresh, like it keeps changing. And that's one of the reasons it stays so strong. You know, certainly like the religious parts are gone from it. And I I do sort of cheekily enjoy the irony that the goal was to try and quash it and it just made it bigger and preserved it. It made it better. Which is kind of funny. You know, personally, like I talked about, like I'm kind of chicken when it comes to in-person horror and like haunted houses and (laughs) cornfields kind of scare me too much to do anymore. 
Uh, I know there's no real danger, but it still just scares the bejesus out of me. I think, um, you know, a part that doesn't hold up. I haven't really gone out to environments where this might be a thing, but I feel like I haven't seen a sexy Halloween costume in a while. Like, you remember, like, 20 years ago, that was such yeah, a big was, thing? Yeah, yep. There's a, yeah. there's a great, like, 2006 uh, college humor sketch that's Girls' Costume Warehouse. And it's, like, a really dirty guy who's just like, we got sexy bananas, we got sexy dolls, you want to be a sexy roller skate? Like, it's really horrible. And, like, so I feel like that that was a maybe not Halloween's finest hour, and that maybe has gone away, which is probably a good thing. I wonder if it's not so much that it's gone away, but we've aged out of the bracket where we would see That's it. That's true. Yeah, it's probably mm. a large contributing factor. Um, I'm sure it's still out there, unfortunately. It's, it's got to be yeah. out there somewhere. Oh, my yeah. God. You know, and I even give truck or treat a bunch of guff, but, you know, for some families, maybe that's what you need to do, you know, because of work schedules or what kind of kid you have, like... Well, in rural areas, too, it's a huge Rural areas. Yeah, Or you don't live in a safe neighborhood. Totally. You live in an apartment complex. Like, no one's knocking on my apartment door, right? No. So So I know I'm doing my Clint Eastwood Gran Torino grumble, but, like, for some people, it makes sense. I get it. You know, even over time, it's evolved. But even today, there's so many ways to celebrate it, which I think is really great. You want to celebrate it innocently, you can go as Papa Smurf. You want to go as death itself, you can go as that, too. Smurfette. Smurfette, sorry. Oh my god, that's great. Um, but you know, all these pumpkin patches and haunted houses and different types of movies, there's so there's so many ways that are accepted to celebrate it that it really is like so customizable, I think is nice. We've all talked about how it evolves through your different stages of life. Like when you're a little kid trick-or-treating to then what it's like mm-hmm. to trick-or-treat as a teenager to then like go to the haunted houses when you're older and then like get to hand out the candy. Like it's enjoyable for different reasons at different stages. And I think the last two parts of it that make it really awesome is there are no undertones of, like, an ugly history that make you feel uncomfortable maybe for celebrating. You know, there's some national holidays where you're like, should we really be celebrating right now? Yeah, like Columbus Day. Columbus Day. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like, some can just feel uncomfortable. And it also doesn't have any undertones that you have to believe something to celebrate in it. Mm -hmm. You can just Mm. go have a good time on Halloween without having to ascribe to dogma or some sort of list of yeah. rules to be allowed to enjoy it. It's so ex- it's such an accessible holiday. To your point, Chris, of like a safe way to test your fears. Um, yeah. So I think it just, it's got so much going for it, but its ability to be flexible and continue to evolve along with culture make it an awesome holiday that was rad in the 80s and it is still awesome today. Absolutely. You know, you're making me rethink this. Maybe I was in a sexy Papa Smurf outfit, and that's why the kid <laughs> thought I was Smurfette. Maybe that's what it was. Hey, 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 Smurfette! Yeah, hey, hey, how you doing, Smurfette? He was Smurf calling you. Well, I, I do want to do a plug. Mikey's in a brilliant plug of talking about season two, episode three, where we talk about <laughs> 80s slasher movies. But we also did some other fun, scary episodes. So if you do want to right, revisit some you. of those... So the first four episodes of season two were all scary stuff last mm-hmm. year. So we did the movie Alien. We did Stephen King's It. Yeah. We did the slasher movies. And we also did Michael Jackson's Thriller. So you can go check those out. In season one, episode five, we did Gremlins. Not oh Halloween, but different holidays. Such a fun episode. That was such a fun episode. And if you also like real-life horrors, like uh, little Ben sitting in his bedroom alone watching Nightmares Before Bed. Oh, yeah. The second episode of the entire show we did, Unsolved Mysteries. So we've (laughs) got scary stuff out there. I also do want to put a plug. Friend of the show, Allison Dixon. I co-host 
frequently on her podcast, Ding Dong Darkness Time. We just did an episode about found footage horror movies. Nice. I got to download Oh, terrifying. That. Yeah, good. So you can go check that out. We had a great discussion over there. So if you enjoy that. And she's doing like, I think, four episodes this month with scary stuff. So she'll have some other ones out there as well. So I just want to put a little plug. I am in one of those episodes about found footage. <laughs> so if you need more scares... Those are some great places to go. <laughs> Look at you on the podcast sphere. That's excellent. Yeah, I'm trying. Mikey, we cannot thank you enough for coming Pleasure. back. Year yes. two, sharing your knowledge of one of the spookiest and best seasons of the year. Thanks so much for coming back, man. It was a great time. Yes. I would be more than happy to make this a new Halloween tradition. <laughs> Eight yeah. is high. I, I love it time. here. Uh, I do want to leave you with a quote, if I may. Oh, please. please. I mentioned it earlier, The Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury, who happens to be my favorite author. So uh, good. I've got, I've got one, one line from the book I'd like to leave you with. Hold the dark holiday in your palms, bite it, swallow it, and survive. Come out the far black tunnel of El Dia de Morte and be glad, ah, so glad, you are alive. Mmm. Killing it, Ray. <laughs> yeah, oh. Killing it, Ray. That was so awesome. Good. That guy should write books. He should write yeah, books. He should write he a couple. He should write books. Oh, man. Chris, that leaves us with one last thing to do. Yeah, I really wish we could like cut to credits after that, but we do have one more <laughs> order of business. That was so great. What can our listeners look forward to on the next episode of 80s High, riding their sugar high after trick-or-treating on Halloween? This is so exciting, guys, because we talked a, a fair deal in this episode about storytelling. It's something I love so much, and it's something I wanted to be the foundation for our next episode. Ooh, okay. Ooh. As I was coming up with my mental search, I was like, you know, I think we should once again focus on a person from the 80s. I think we've only done that once with Pat Benatar, right? Oh, yeah, right. And I was trying to think of somebody who influenced 80s culture in a way that cannot be denied. In fact, this person may almost be synonymous with the entertainment of the decade, more specifically with the filmmaking of the decade. Oh, man. Mikey's going to kill me. So next time, we're going to talk about the man, the director, <gasps> oh? writer, and producer who left an imprint on all of us, Steven Spielberg. Wow. And I'll be back next week. No. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Mikey's coming side. back sooner than you thought. Spielberg. Wow. I mean, this is the guy who brought us, we mentioned it earlier, E.T., Poltergeist, Twilight Zone the movie, The Goonies, and three Indiana Jones movies in the 80s alone. alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the number of amazing movies that span from the 60s all the way to present day and even into the future yeah. new projects on the horizon so yeah the number of amazing movies is vast and include someone on this podcast favorite franchise <laughs> no it's because this is getting tense this is about to get really aggressive yeah i don't know <laughs> this how, is amazing. i don't know how to rein this in but i'm gonna try i'm gonna do my best all right well we will do our best so everyone polish off your script grab your super eight camera because next time on 80s high it's lights camera action with Steven Spielberg. Oh, can't wait. Thanks everyone for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. 
If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical.